Welcome! I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. We are here for the ultimate weigh-in show, talking about UFC 278, headlined by a rematch in the welterweight title fight headliner, and it's going to be between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. This is a fight that took place initially back in December of 2015. Kamaru Usman came through as a minus 240 favorite that night, this weekend, we're going to be talking about minus 360 Usman going up against Leon Edwards. So very interested to see how that line dictates how we predict this fight is going to go and how my guest is going to be viewing it as well. So appreciate everybody joining us this late on a Friday evening. I had a full day behind me, but I still want to get the, the ultimate weigh-in show out, especially considering the level of guests that I have lined up for this card as well, because this is this guy is one of the sharpest dudes in the game, hands down. Third-party track, all that. This guy is probably one of the best in the game. And the numbers back it up. You know, I mean, you can never battle against numbers, and this guy has them all. So uh, very much forward to looking to to bring him in here. Let me just quickly shout out everybody that's been coming through so far. Asher Quinn and the, the Buffo on the Beat, Elijah Dream, Tammy Gucci. I appreciate all you guys coming through. Am I having a mic problem here? Is somebody saying I'm having a mic problem? Frank Yose, mic problem. Anybody, anybody want to give me a quick... One, two, one, two, to let me know that I'm, uh, oh, that's why I'm using my webcam. Let me just switch that for you guys. Bang. That should be much better. Mm. I usually check that. I don't know why the hell I stumbled this time. I appreciate you guys uh, checking me on my mic quality as well. Um, but yeah, uh, appreciate everybody that's been supporting the MMA Lock Talk throughout the week. Again, that new show that I've been doing for about two and a half to three weeks now from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Thursday. Just talking to you guys in the chat. It's been a lot of fun. We've built a solid community. I can't wait to see where we continue to move that show. So I appreciate everybody checking that out. And then uh, in terms of the coaches main event marathon, I was supposed to record with Santino DeFranco last night. My guy got a little bit too wrapped up and I don't blame him. He's over there in Salt Lake City right now, ready to uh, coach Luis Saldana tomorrow, obviously, who's going up against uh, Sean Woodson. So I didn't want to impede too much on his time, but I'm also waiting for two of the coaches to give me their picks for the card so that I can actually edit and fin uh, finally uh, drop that podcast for you guys. If I don't get it by the time that I'm done doing this podcast, I'll just edit it myself and then put it put their picks in the description of the YouTube video afterwards. Uh, so far, I only have Eric Nixick that I was able to record with, but I thought his breakdown of Edwards and Usman was phenomenal. So I will do my best to drop that later for you guys this evening. Uh, so yeah. All right, let's get into the show. Let me bring in my guests here again. One of the sharpest guys in the game, third-party track, all that good stuff. This guy does it the right way, and I promise you guys are going to appreciate every single take that he brings to the table here. Let me introduce my guy. James Blissett from Lucrative MMA Betting. James, what's going on, my brother? What's going on, man? Pretty happy to be back again, man. This is a solid card, UFC 278, pay-per-view. It's always a little bit more fun when we do the pay-per-views, you know. They usually stack those cards, a little bit more engagement with the fans, a little bit more engagement with the people watching the stream. Shout out to everybody watching the stream, by the way. And as always, the ultimate goal of us is to make money. So I'm hoping... On this show, we can break down some bets, props, parlay, straights, whatever, and make some money, man, because that is the goal at the end of the day. Entertainment, but entertainment with money is a little bit better, as I always say. So happy to be on, man. Thanks for having me. 
absolutely, dude. There's something special about pay-per-views, like you just said, right? I don't know if it's because, like, usually there's more eyeballs on it or, you know, the, the level of fights that we usually get on it compared to the, you know, Jamal Hills against Thiago Santos main event <laughs> fight nights. Like, like we know how to kind of break those fights down, and usually we can find our angles there as well. But when we have a title on the line, when we have Jose Aldo on the freaking card, there's always fun times to be had and uh, great times uh, to, to break down fights and see the best betting angles that we can bring in. Again, doing a pay-per-view here. I got to bring one of the sharpest guys in the game to help me break these down. So appreciate you taking your t- taking time out of your day to, to do this. Um, but first, before we get into the actual breakdowns, though, I just want to I want you to take off your betting cap, put on your fan cap. What's the fight that you have circled? Where you're like, I am looking forward to this fight from a fan's perspective. I can't wait to see how it plays out. I can't wait for the entertainment that it could provide. What is that fight for you this weekend? So usually on my podcast, I'll break down three segments. You know, I think you've watched my podcast a few times. I don't know if you're too familiar with it. But one of the segments I have is the most exciting fight on the card, right? So that's basically what you're asking me right now. And I had a look before I did my podcast this week and I was like, what am I going to choose? You know, pay-per-views, they always throw a few exciting fights on the card. I didn't end up doing that segment on my podcast because I did a full card breakdown like we will do today. But the fight I was going to pick was between the co-main event and the fight right before that, right? Mm-hmm. And I ended up going with Jose Aldo versus Marab Davalishvili. That was a close second to Costa versus Rockhold. I just feel like Jose Aldo, I mean, it's not me that feels like. Everybody knows Jose Aldo has been in the game for many, many years, you know, he was a champion in WEC, champion in the UFC. He's dropped down to 135. He's looked awesome at 135, right. honestly. Crazy. Which, which is crazy at his age and at his leanness. I mean, 145, the dude looked lean. Everyone yeah. was like, oh, yeah, this dude's dropping down to 135. His cardio is going to be terrible. He, he's going to get knocked out straight away. I remember in that Marlon Marais fight, I think it might yeah. have been his first fight at 135. Yeah. Everyone thought he was going to get knocked out straight away. Um but he's gone on an insane run at 135. He's lost lost a couple of fights, or maybe just one against. He lost Pierre the Marais and the Piotr Jan fight. That's it. Yeah, he lost the Marais fight. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Close fight. Real ones, no. Real ones, no. <laughs> yes, sir. So, basically, the dude's lost one fight at 135. I mean, he's a guy that's going to go down in in, in UFC history, um, MMA history, and in any MMA's fans' history of the sport. Right. So anytime he steps in the cage, I can't wait. But he's got a dance partner who is another guy that's on insane run at 135. I mean, apart from that Simone fight, the dude's just I don't won six or seven in a row. Seven fight winning streak. Crazy. Seven fight winning streak. I mean, everybody loves Marab. He's a marauder. Uh, one of the best things about Marab's fights is the corner work from the longer oh, team yeah. out there, Matt Sarah. So I can't wait for them to, you know, to be cornering him if it gets out around one. It's yeah. always a bit tough when you're fighting, you know, Aldo. Um, but that, yeah, that takes the cake for me, man. I can't wait for that fight. I'm torn, and we'll get to that. You know, we won't break it down now, but that's probably the most fight I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it, it's definitely that Aldo fight. Every Anytime Aldo's on the card, I'm super excited about it. He's one of my favorite fighters, but, like, we obviously have to take that bias aside when we're breaking down these fights, but it's always a treat to see him walk in there and, and put on a show, and he's been looking phenomenal, like you've been saying, over his last couple of fights, his boxing, his crisp uh, striking combinations, all that stuff. It looks amazing. Uh, before we get into breakdowns, I just want to... I see we have a couple babies in the chat, and if you guys know what I'm talking about, I just want to give you guys a big... 
I hope that made some of you guys giggles. James, I know you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, but I know these guys know what I'm talking about. And I just had to drop it for them. Shout out to my babies out there. I love you guys. All right. Let's get into the breakdowns here. Let's not waste too much more time. We got 12 fights because we lost one yesterday, James. We lost one uh, because of uh, Shada Young. Unfortunately, she was hospitalized. She was set to take on Miranda Maverick in her, uh, I guess you can call it a rematch, right? Because the first one technically didn't go on their record. It was an exhibition fight. But um, yeah, very, very bummed about that. I just want to get like your brief, like two to three sentence thoughts on that matchup. What were your, did you have a play on that fight? Uh, what were your thoughts on that fight? And if they were to get matched up, would you make the same play again if you had a play on it? That was heartbreaking for me because, honestly, I thought that was uh, one of the easiest spots of the year. So I played Miranda Maverick inside the distance at plus money. She Love choked her in, out in about 90 seconds last time <laughs> yeah. out. I feel like she was going to do it again. She was going to dominate on the feet. Um, it was probably one of the easiest spots of the entire year. Uh, I did play her money line. I did play her inside the distance. So heartbroken over that. Um, that's my faults, man. I'm I'm really upset. But there's some more spots on the card that I like. So it's not a ton of chalk on this card, but I'm glad that you were able to find that solid, you know, plus money spot, just as I thought, man. I thought that Maverick inside the distance spot was going to be a damn good way to go about it. Um, but yeah, we still got 12 other fights to talk about. So let's get right into the thick of things here. First fight of the night has us down at 125 pounds. We got Victor Altamoreno going up against Daniel De Silva. I know he's been called Lacerda as well, but for the sake of the show, we'll go with De Silva. Um in terms of odds, we got minus 170 on Ultima Reno, plus 145 or plus 150 is the return on Daniel Da Silva. Uh, fun fight to kick off the card, right? Very, very fun fight between two flyweights that usually bring the, the fire and the entertainment. Uh, we know the rap on Daniel Da Silva to this point, right? The guy is a berserker early in fights. If he isn't able to get the finish, usually he starts to slow down after that maybe four-minute mark, five-minute mark, and then, then that's when his opponents are able to take advantage of him, just like Jeff Molina was able to do in his uh, UFC debut there. Uh, Alta Moreno coming off the contender series, very close fight against uh, Carlos Candelario. I believe both guys ended up getting a contract that night, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I love what I see from Victor Alta Moreno. Smooth, slick striking, good combinations, good kicks. Uses the range decently, but his takedown defense is a little bit suspect. Um, however, I like his ability to kind of nullify the damage his opponents are able to do from that top position. He does a really good job in terms of creating scrambles, getting back to his feet, and then getting back to it like the, the, the striking combinations and flowy style that he likes on the feet um and i believe we saw him capture an lfa title when he was uh, on the regional scene before he actually got his crack on the contender series I, I like the kid i think the kid's talented right the the carlos hernandez fight his first fight in the ufc very close fight maybe it was the takedowns that swayed it for the 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 hernandez side but hernandez still only went two of nine on takedowns that night so as much as people want to shit on altamoreno's takedown defense he's still you know shucking them off at a, a decent enough clip i believe in the in the contender series fight, it was his opponent who went six of 15 on takedowns, right? He's still landing six takedowns. So that, like there is that kind of little bit of a red flag, but he was able to stuff the other nine and still get up and, and do good work on the feet. I'm certain that De Silva is going to be looking to take him to the ground here and try to utilize his jujitsu to get him out of there quickly. But I feel like Alta Moreno is crafty enough to get out of those situations, get back to his feet and get back to work. Uh, the last submission loss on Alta Moreno record on Alta Moreno's record is, UFC former UFC fighter um 
what's his face? Uh, Jared Brooks, you know, the monkey God, I think his name is, or the monkey King. I forgot what his nickname was, but very heavy top pressure wrestler, right? That's what he was dealing with that night was very much struggled in terms of getting back to his feet. And you can't blame him, you know, Jared Brooks, you know, I thought he got unjustly cut from the UFC. That guy is a UFC level talent, in my opinion. Um, so not a bad loss there. I'd be surprised if Lacerda has as much, or sorry, De Silva has as much success from on top. So I really like Alton Moreno. Personally, I took the shot on his money line around minus 168. Um, but as soon as I made the bet, I looked at other bookies and it was like minus 149 on bet online for like an hour or two uh, before the money started to come back in on him. So uh, I, I don't know what happened in that little sec. Maybe people saw that I made that uh, Alton Moreno bet. Like, let's go fade this guy and we'll play the other side. Uh, but I was happy with how I got there. But I also played the under two and a half at minus 160. He, there's certain guys where you always have to attack violence, in my opinion. Daniel De Silva is one of those guys. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's either going to go out there and get a kill or he's going to mm -hmm. end up going out on his shield. And that's where I think we're getting here. So might be a slight hedge on the Alto Moreno if you want to look at it that way. But I do think the Alto Moreno can finish him as well, probably late in that second, early in that third round as well. Uh, and last thing I'll say, Daniel De Silva, round one, I think is plus 550, plus 600. Not a bad spot either, right? If you like the underdog here, as that's usually going to be his uh, upside for win equity um so yeah i'm going alto moreno alto moreno probably second or third round finish what do you like in here you got a play or anything no play you know no official play but i basically agree with your breakdown you know it's not a hard fight to break down in my opinion <clears throat> because daniel da silva doesn't make it hard you know i mean he's done the same things for the majority of his career on the tape we have he comes out and he's a very flashy fighter right he'll throw spinning kicks spinning back kicks, spinning head kicks, he'll throw flying knees. Um, even his takedowns are dynamic. You know, I remember the takedown he got on Figgy. I think Figgy yeah. hit him with a, a, a nice body kick and the um, he just blast doubled him, you know, like a, like a rugby player or like a football player, as you would say, right? So um, he does the same thing every fight. Uh, he comes out crazy. If he doesn't get the finish, it seems like he has got finished himself. Um, I played the under 2-5 or, or a fight doesn't go to decision on his first fight against Jeff Molina. That fight was almost stopped a couple of times. So, you know, that was an easy bet to make there. I think it was plus money. And then I also done the exact same thing against Francisco Figueredo. I played the under 2-5, doesn't go to decision. Again, they gave me plus money. Or I think they gave me minus 110 or something, right? And now the bookies have kind of cottoned on to what type of fighter he is when the odds were released this time out. On the under 2-5, fight doesn't go to decision. As you said, minus 160, minus 170. I mean, the fight doesn't go to decision now is minus 250. So oh, I think yeah. now it's getting a little bit a little bit too much. And actually, my thoughts on the bet is changing a little bit. Now, if anything, I'm more looking to the Alta Moranio decision, right, at plus 400. So originally, when the lines were released, I, I, I wrote down before the lines were released that I'm going to play the under 2-5. When the lines were released... The, the, it wasn't as much, you know, the, the line wasn't as much to my liking as I liked it to be. So I kind of just passed on it. And that's what happens in sports betting, right? I know there's been a discussion on Twitter every, you know, oh, probably every oh single week God. there's a discussion like, oh, no, I just pick who I think is going to win. Doesn't that is pulling my you know, hair out, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, I tried to engage in it yesterday because... Uh, I'm not going to go into it on Twitter. I tried to engage. I'll say one thing. I'll say, I'll say one thing about it, James. It's interesting, at least on my perspective, from what I've been mm -hmm. seeing, the people that have been uh, honking the horn in terms of saying, you know, only pick winners. Don't worry about value. Don't worry about percentages. 
I haven't seen any of those guys tracking any bets or anything like that. So like, how, how can you say that and us believe you if you have nothing ev- evidence to, su- to support that essentially? There might be one or two guys, but the guys that are banging the drum consistently don't seem yeah. to have any sort of track record to say that or suggest that. So that's all I really want to say. And I didn't try to get engage in it because it's going to be a fucking vicious cycle of, you know, us calling each other names and all that shit. I'm done. I, I don't get involved with that shit, but that's really all I want to say about it. But please continue. So Yeah, I mean, so basically what it is for anybody watching this video... When you're gambling, you have to bet on where you think there is value on the line, right? Forget who's going to win. Most of the time, you probably you might you might pick who you think is going to win because there's probably going to be more value on that line if you actually think they're going to win, right? A lot of the time. But what I tried to do in sports betting, what you have to do to win long term, is bet when you have an edge on the line, right? So I didn't think there was a huge edge on the minus one minus one ninety fight doesn't go to decision or minus one seventy five under 2.5 rounds just because we haven't we don't know too much about Daniel De Silva right like he doesn't have that many fights he doesn't have that many top level fights so we've seen him get a lot of early finishes he has seemed to quit in the Molina fight and he did get finished in the Francisco Figueroa fight but I'm not just outright ready to say he's a Harry Hunsucker Hmm. his fight's never gonna go to decision I'm not ready to say that just because I feel we don't have the evidence there yet on a long-term basis, at a high-level basis. Um, so, look, I do think the fight ends inside the distance. I think Alta Moranio probably comes through some spinning kicks, some takedowns, and he's able to, you know, put Daniel De Silva out in the first or second round. So that is my official prediction, but I have no plays on it for the reasons I uh, just described. There we go. Shout out to my guy Santiago for the five bucks uh, donation here. Also saying Aldo Leon by decision all all luck so uh he's really liking it please don't spam the chat with it though i appreciate the donation i won't uh i don't usually you know take people spamming the chat i usually hit that block or put them in timeout real quick but i appreciate the dono that you dropped so i'll give you a little bit of leeway just please don't spam the chat i appreciate the love as always all right let's move on to the next slide here james we're going to be talking about a richie lang going up against jay perron in the 135 pound division in terms of odds we got the chinese fighter richie lang coming in at minus 135 and plus 115 for a fired up jay perron the guy's been talking a lot of smack on twitter let's see if he can back it up tomorrow I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. What are you liking here? Yeah, I've seen Jay Perrin all over Twitter recently. Um, it's always funny when you see someone like that over Twitter. You know, sometimes it goes well for them, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, uh, honestly, I don't I don't take advantage. I don't look at that in any sort of way. I mean, I saw a few takes on Twitter. People were saying, oh, Jay Perrin's been all over Twitter. He's not focusing on his fight. Uh, we should fade him. Like, man. The guy's a human being, bro. <laughs> Takes a second. You think Arichi Lang's not on his phone? Like, okay, maybe he didn't post on Twitter, but maybe he did. I don't know. But you think he's not on his phone? I mean, everyone's on their phone, right? Everyone's addicted to their yeah. phone these days. So I completely ignore all of that outside the Octagon narrative stuff. Inside the Octagon, from what we've seen, Jay Perrin seems like a tough dude. Um, Arichi Lang seems like a tough dude. I think this is going to be a good fight. Arichi Lang is not really ever in a boring fight, you know, um, I actually had one of my biggest bets of my entire sports betting career when Arichi Lang fought his last fight against Cameron Else. Um, I played played violence in that spot under 1.5 rounds, under 2.5 rounds, Arichi Lang TKO, Arichi Lang inside the distance, fight doesn't go to decision, literally everything you could imagine on multiple sports books. I put a, a lot of money down on the fight doesn't go to decision. It ends inside 90 seconds or something. The first body shot Arichi Lang hits Else with, 
you know, he goes down and crumbles him. Um, Arichi Lang's an exciting fighter. You know, he's got good striking. He doesn't really use takedowns too much. Uh, he will often defend takedowns. You know, he's got decent takedown defense. Not so much decent takedown defense, but he has decent get-up ability, right? He'll 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 get up and he'll he'll push you up against the fence and he'll start hitting you with heavy strikes, even though you've just grounded him for a last minute or two. So he's not the type of fighter to quit on himself. If you take him down once, he'll get up again. Take him down twice, he'll get up again. Um, I think this is going to be a fight where they swing in the middle. And I think Jay Perrin is going to be the one who's shooting takedowns here. Um, he has shown some takedown upside in his career. And as we know, Arichi Lang has shown some takedown defense downside in his career. So I think it's going to be a good fight. I do think Arichi Lang is going to etch it out. I think he may get taken down a couple of times. I don't think Jay Perrin's top control is that elite to hold him down. I think Arichi Lang has that UFC experience, that higher level experience. I think he gets back up to his feet. He's able to do some damage on Jay um, but he's not a type of fighter I'd like to trust uh, as a favorite on the money line, honestly, just because if you go back to the regional scene, you know, he's fairly easy to be taken down. Uh, he can give minutes away in that regard. Uh, he's more of a power striker. And he's one of those fighters where he can be landing heavy shots, but he just be getting jabbed at range. Like the volume will go against him, even though he's landing heavier shots. So he can kind of give up volume. He can give up takedowns. And if we go back to the regional scene, the dude has lost against fighters who are like free and free, you know, yeah. like uh, four and free. And, Very sketchy and level of competition, even though he has like 30 plus fights, right? Yeah, like he's losing against uh, some yeah. of these guys as well. So it, it's a terrible look on the regional scene. I do think he's improved because he's fighting decently against Cody Durden, against Jeff Molina, who are, who are decent UFC level fighters. So, you know, he's shown that he has improved. But just his style, as I said, giving up volume, giving up takedowns, his style lends itself to being in close fights against fighters who are maybe not on his level of competition, right? So I never want to put my money behind that type of fighter, although I do think he wins this fight. I actually did have a play on this fight, and the play is uh, the fight goes to decision. It was about minus 185, minus 190. I just think both guys are extremely tough. Both fighters have never been finished. Um, I find it hard to see a finish. Both fighters have never been finished, and both fighters are not really finishers. Um, yeah. Not against this level of competition, in my opinion, anyway. Arichi Lang hits hard, but... I think it goes to decision. So I have played that. And I guess I'm going to say uh, Richie Lang gets the decision win, but I wouldn't be surprised if Perrin pulls out the back here. I, I agree with a lot of what you say there, which is why I'm actually going to be on the underdog in this spot. I, I do like the underdog money that we're getting on the grappler here on Jay Perron. Uh, I pulled the trigger a little bit earlier this week at plus 132. I thought that was a good enough stance in terms of, you know, landing takedowns, hopefully getting some top control and some top damage, and that should be enough to be able to get his hand raised. I agree with you that this likely goes the full 15 minutes, so I'm hoping that the grappler will hopefully get his hand raised in the spot. But we've seen it, right, where grapplers are able to get takedowns, but once they get back to their feet, they're eating damage, and that's ultimately what the judges end up seeing so i absolutely you know agree that that could be a way for our reach to win this fight i'm hoping you know full training camp jay peron uh slightly new training uh or sorry coaching staff as well i think it's been two or three camps now that he's been at syndicate gotta feel like he's been truly uh, getting comfortable over there with guys like james wood and the training partners that he has i like I like what I see from Jay Perron in the, on the regional scene, right? On the regional scene, he's fighting much stiffer competition than what Arichi Lang was going up against, right? But maybe the exception of Kai Car France earlier in his UFC or earlier in his professional MMA career. But like, you know, just one of the names that comes to mind that is a very experienced regional guy that Jay Perron beat over five rounds, uh, Johnny Cupcake Campbell, sometimes fights in Bellator. Heavy-handed, very difficult guy to put away, and Jay Prawn was easily able to kind of, you know, take him down, control him, and grind him out. I'm not saying he's going to have the same amount of 
you know, you know, lack of resistance per se from a Richie Lang, but I do think at least he'll be around land enough takedowns and get some good damage from on top. And if it, you know, his Twitter talk tells me anything, I'm hoping that he goes out there and puts it on a statement, you know, maybe not a get a finish. So it fucks up on your pets, but hopefully goes out there and wins a dominant, uh, maybe 30, 26 or something by really putting a Richie Lang through the grinder. So uh, give me Jay Perron, Jay Perron. I, I got two units up plus 132. So I'm hoping that ends up coming uh, on the green here. All right. <clears throat> let's move on to the next one we're going to be talking about another flyweight fight we got three uh you know lower weight class fights kicking off the card here but i believe they should all be fun they should all be bangers and a far cry from you know what dana white was kind of upset about with the flyweight division you know back uh, a year or two ago when he was talking about cutting the flyweight division just because they weren't uh, exciting enough but i think we're going to get some fireworks here in this amir albazi versus francisco figueredo fight should be very fun i'm very big on amir albazi i think he's you know, more than deserving of the chalk that he's currently at, which is minus 460, plus 370, the return on Walmart Figgy. But we we know what we're getting from Baby Figgy here, right? We know what we're getting. I, the only reason I call him Baby, I think he's older, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the only reason I call him Baby is because he is a baby in comparison to what Davidson brings to the table, man. This guy throws, like, he almost has a similar stalking approach that his brother does, but he just doesn't demand as much respect as Davison does. He throws with heat, you know, but it doesn't seem like he has that that godlike power to end your night with one shot. Um, he does seem to have a little bit of a gas tank issue, which I obviously was able to see on tape in that Malcolm Gordon fight. And even in past fight, fights with the, the Jerome Rivera fight, it seems like he was slow, uh, starting to slow down there as well. Um, I don't really know what to make of his skill set as the whole than just literally Walmart version of Davison. It's just Davison, but very very lower level of skill set and power and and you know sure he pulled off a knee bar in his last fight against Daniel De Silva but I think that's more so of a flash in the pan type of spot for him than anything. Uh, Amir Albazi, great wrestling, solid grappling. Obviously, that was able to help him get his win last time against uh, Zalgasumagulov. The unfortunate part was that fight was over a year and a half ago. So he's been out of the cage for a long time. I'm hoping he can remain a little bit more active. Uh, the kid's still young, though, right? So he still has a lot of time to grow and a lot of time to make his name. He's only 28 years old, and guys really start reaching their prime around that 30, 31 mark. So I think we still have a couple more years before we see him at his best. So I'm expecting an even better version of himself uh, this weekend. So uh, I like him. I don't I don't mind the chalk on him, honestly. I honestly think he actually gets to finish, too. Like, I, I think that he can get this fight to the ground and really start to wear on Fre uh, uh, Figgy and then probably finish him in the second or third round of this fight. So give me give me Albazi. Give me violence. I just don't see how Figgy really wins this fight. Do you, are you a little bit higher on Figgy than I am? Because I feel like I've just been shitting on him the, the past two minutes here. Uh, and ultimately, who do you end up, end up think wins this fight? Yeah, um, maybe a, li a little bit higher. Uh, I won't completely shit on him for the next two minutes. <laughs> I don't think he's a great fighter by any by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think he's terrible. I mean, you know, his striking is serviceable. And his striking is decent. Um, his jiu-jitsu looks okay, um, but he, he can be taken down easily. Uh, he is a little bit low volume, so, you know, he can be out-volumed. I also think he can be knocked out. He's a little bit more open than Figgy, I'd say. Um, and, you know, unless Figgy's on one of his crazy Terminator rampages, then he's extremely open. But when Figgy's fighting, how he did in the third Moreno fight, um, this Francisco is a lot more open than him. Yeah, as you said, he's just a much, much lower level version of Figgy. Um, 
I do think that Almir Obazi is going to win this fight, of course. I think the, the stoppage is possible. Um, I don't know if Francisco Figueiredo's jiu-jitsu is that bad where he will get stopped by Almir Obazi. Now, look, I will say that Almir Obazi has very good jiu-jitsu, right? So <clears throat> he's going to stop fighters who are who also have good jiu-jitsu. You know, I'm not trying to say that your jiu-jitsu has to be terrible to be finished by Amir Albazi because Amir Albazi, in my opinion, has very, very good jiu-jitsu. I mean, you saw what he did against Malcolm Gordon on the ground, completely yeah. dominated him, triangle choked him in one round. Beautiful And then transition. we saw what happened with Francisco Figueredo. Yeah, it was a great transition. And we saw what happened when Francisco Figueredo fought the same opponent in Malcolm Gordon, uh, at, at, at times got dominated on the ground, right? So there is a clear level gap in the jiu-jitsu, in my opinion. But I think Figgy's... His submission defense, I haven't seen it be, be you know, terrible, right? So I'm not going to say Amel Bazi is a lock for a finish. You know, he's minus 500. So oftentimes when you do have those lines, you kind of do want them to be a lock for a finish because you don't want any dodgy shit happening with the judges over 15 minutes, right? Um, I don't really think Amel Bazi should be up at minus 500 here. Um, I, I just feel like he's not deserving of that line. Uh, I don't think his skill set warrants that line at this point in his career. Look, could he go on to be a minus 500 fighter in the UFC? Yes. Do you have to factor in the opponent who he's fighting? Yes. It just gives me a little bit of a weird feeling seeing Amir Albazi up at minus 500. If you want to say minus 250, maybe, you know, but minus 500, I think he's minus 550 at one book now. It's just, it's just yeah. getting a little bit too much for my liking. Um, but I won't be taking it on the shot on Francisco Figueredo because I don't think there's much value there. You know, I think the line, like when you're talking to minus 300 to minus 500, it, it's not an it's not an insane difference, right? Um, I don't think the line is that out of whack. I just get a little bit of uh, the creeps seeing a minus 500 against someone like Amir Obazi. You know, he's unproven at the end of the day. Um, the Zalgas fight, he looked good, 30-27. He didn't look great, in my opinion. Um, yeah, tougher at test, the end of the day, right? What's that? That's a tougher test, though, than what he's going to be getting this weekend. Would you not? Would you agree? No, no. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. But, um, yeah. but yeah, man, I don't have much more to say about that. I think Amar Albazi is going to win. Uh, I wouldn't be putting any bets for him to do it inside the distance, although I do think the submission is live. Um, but yeah, man, Amar Albazi should win, but I'm not going to play it myself. Yeah, uh, I, I think that a lot of this line has to do with the potential people seeing him in as well. But potential doesn't win you fights, right? You have to achieve that potential for it to win you fights. So uh, I, I kind of understand where it's at and probably is right where it's at as well. All right, let's move on to the next one here. We're going to be talking about a welterweight belt between AJ Fletcher and Anhe Lusa. In terms of odds, we're talking about minus 150 on Fletcher and plus 130 on Lusa. Uh, I'm glad that you're going to be the one kicking this one off because I got to say, this is the one fight that I feel, you know, least confident in, in terms of how I'm able to read these guys and what their strengths and weaknesses are coming into the gate. So I'm hoping you can shed a little bit better light on it than I'm going to be able to, but please let me know who you think wins this fight and what you think about the odds. Yeah, I will. <clears throat> I'll try and shed some light because I feel like I've got a decent read on these fighters, right? And one of the reasons is because <laughs> I went through all six of Angelusa's last six fights, which I don't usually do when I'm taping, right? I'll usually get a good read on how I think the fight's going to play out after two or three fights. This one, I didn't get a read. Like you're saying, you don't. So I went through Angelusa's last six fights, 
which was a bit of a drag. Now, I will yeah. say I had a couple of those fights on 1.5 times speed and stuff. <laughs> Got to do it sometimes. Got to do it sometimes. You have to, yeah. I mean, especially when you're looking for specific things, right? And I was looking for specific things. The reason I went through his last six fights is because I specifically wanted to see what his takedown defense was like. Because as we know, um, you know, you might not have a good read on AJ Fletcher, but one thing you probably do know is that the dude will shoot takedowns consistently, yeah. right? Um, now, he's got a lot of knockouts on the regional scene, but those are early knockouts, flying knees, punches, stuff like that. When he doesn't get the knockout early, he, go, he goes for uh, wrestling, right? He did it against um, Matt Semmelsberger. The dude shot, what, 10 takedowns in that fight? Uh, he did end up gassing after the first round. But I wanted to see how good Angelus's takedown defense was because I know that he's going to be ha he's going to have to use it in this fight, right? And honestly, I was extremely impressed. The dude seems like he's got very good takedown defense, and it's not so much that his technique on the defense is great. Like he'll dig an underhook, and he's very he's very good at sliding his arms under, and he he breaks an angle. It's not so much with the technique; it's more of the power and the physicality of him, right? So Kamara Usman who is a picture of power and physicality, was actually commenting uh, commentating on one of his regional scene fights, right? And one thing Kamaru kept on saying was, Ange is so tough, his physicality, you can see how strong he is. And that's exactly what I agreed with, right? We know that Ange Lusa, if he isn't anything, because I don't think he's particularly great at MMA, he is a very strong, he is a very tough and a very physical lad, right? He's a very tough guy. So... That is one of the reasons why his takedown defense is so good. Because when these guys get on in, those hip, in on his hips, he just shrugs them off. He's like, you know, big brothers them, like, go away from me, you know. He, like, get off me. You're not going to take me down. So that's what I wanted to see. And that's what I was shown. His takedown defense is very good. He's very physical, right? So in this fight, I think Angelusa, he's going to have his takedown defense tested. I think AJ Fletcher is going to be shooting here. I think he's going to be shooting a lot here. I think Angelusa is going to defend a lot of takedowns. And I think Angelusa is tough enough to weather the early storm that AJ Fletcher brings in every one of his fights. AJ Fletcher was plus 205, plus 200 underdog. I, it did get bet down, but I bet him as a plus 200 underdog in his UFC debut against Matt Semmelsberger. And he put Matt Semmelsberger through the ringer in that third yeah. round, uh, in that first round, sorry. Multiple takedown attempts, multiple takedowns, multiple guillotines. Um, I think he transitioned to a dash choke at one point. He had full mount at one point, pounding on him from the top position. There was calls for a 10-8 on that first round. And in the regional scene, he's got multiple, multiple first-round finishes. So in the first round, AJ Fletcher is a motherfucker. But what we saw in that in that three-round fight was that he gassed after the first round. Now, he fought well gassed, so he's a, he's a type of fighter. Uh, that will fight for your money. He's a type of fighter that even though he's tired, he will still continue to fight. His striking is rudimentary. His striking isn't good, but he will shoot, you know, he will do crazy strikes like flying knees, um, Superman punches because he's a short guy for the weight class, uh, spinning back kicks, stuff like that. So his striking is a bit crazy, but it will get himself in range to do the takedowns. And that's where he does his best work. So, that's what AJ Fletcher is. And on the other hand, Angelusa, as I've said, great takedown defense. And his striking is kind of rudimentary, honestly. He's got decent power, but he's very tough. He'll keep coming. He's not a fighter that will give up. So if he's fighting a guesser, which he potentially might be doing in this fight, he's going to be there after eight, nine, ten minutes. And he might make it interesting. You know, someone like Nate Landwehr, he's not particularly amazing at any facet of MMA. But the dude, unless you get him out early, he's going to be there. 
which is what we saw in the Anama fight. And that's kind of what won him the fight. So honestly, um, I hope I've given you a, a solid picture of what these fighters are or what I think these fighters are, you know, because those are the styles there. How the fight breaks down with both styles is that I feel like AJ Fletcher is going to be winning minutes in general. I think his striking is a little bit faster. Um, I think it might throw Ange off a little bit with, with the unorthodox nature of it. And I think he will be able to get some of these takedowns. I think Angelus has great takedown defense. I don't think he's going to be able to defend all takedowns. But I feel like after seven and a half minutes, this fight's going to get interesting. I think AJ Fletcher is going to take round one and Angelusa is very live to take round two and round three. Now, I'm not going to be putting my money on this fight because I just don't like Angelusa's game. I don't think he's very good at MMA. I don't think he has very good striking. I don't think he has very good wrestling. I think he just has average wrestling, average striking and good takedown defense and physicality. So I don't want to trust him with my money at like short underdog odds plus 130, but I do think he can make it interesting. I don't see how you can lay the chalk on AJ Fletcher at minus 170 because if he doesn't get the first round finish, he's going to be in trouble. It's going to be close, at least in my opinion. So look, that was a long breakdown to say that I'm not having no bets on this fight <laughs> apart from apart from the over, right? So mm. I like the over on this fight because of all, the all of the reasons I just said. Hunch Looser is a tough motherfucker. And yes, AJ Fletcher... Maybe gassed, but he's going to fight for your money. He's a tough motherfucker when he's gassed. Angelusa, he seems like a powerful puncher, but who is he hurt? Who is he finished? I mean, nobody, right? So, yeah, man, uh, I think this is going to be a decent fight, but I just feel like the fight probably goes over more often than not, and I don't see how you can play either fighter with a ton of confidence. I personally think Angelusa is the side, but he's not good at MMA in my opinion, so I'm not going to be taking the shot. Yeah, one thing I was saying as uh, in terms of as an asterisk to the Kamaru Usman commentary on Angelusa, they're teammates as well, right? So let's let's like I'm sure he looked great. Like you were able to assess it with your own eyes as well and kind of come to the same conclusion that Usman uh, was able to that at night. But that's one thing that I've been hearing most about Angelusa is his teammates, you know puffing him up his teammates saying that this guy is legit that this guy is you know one of the best workhorses that we have in the gym but the guy that i've been comparing him to all week and shout out to some of the older you know uh, mma fans in the game mike Pyle. remember like, remember mike Pyle? you know he used to be uh, a kind of like a mid-tier ufc fighter but everybody said this guy would beat people's asses inside the gym you know high level champion guys that he would continuously go up against and always whoop their asses that's what i feel like we're getting with like new angelus like he is the new age mike Pyle. Because when the lights are brightest, he seems to come, you know, come up short. Now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt concerning his level of competition. And I apologize. I have this crazy sneeze coming up my nose right now. <laughs> give me one. Holy shit. I've never felt a sneeze come up my nose that quickly. That was so wild. Um, yeah. In, in regards to this matchup, uh, or sorry, uh, his last two opponents, we'll get, we'll cut him some slack, right? Jack Della Maddalena. That guy looks like an absolute beast coming into the UFC and is able to outstrike Angelusa over three rounds. Uh, Manuel Lizaz, same thing. Uh, solid striker, rangy striker, uses his kicks very well. And it was fine. Um, AJ Fletcher, I would believe, is a step down from those guys. So this might be a more winnable fight for him, but I still don't like the tools that he brings to the table here. Like, 
it's he seems like a guy that should have tremendous knockout power, but it's not really there. Like it's kind of there, but you'd expect way more, especially with his explosiveness and his ability to you know connect on people's chins. You just don't see them reacting the way you would expect. And AJ Fletcher, for some reason, anytime I see this guy flex or on the scale or anything like that, I always expect him to be like a 145 or something like that. So whenever I see he's a 170 or you know, he is actually the same height as Andre. Angelus, uh, based on the uh, UFC stats uh, here, five ten each, but it's the it's the arms. He only has a sixty seven inch reach compared to the seventy four inch reach that Angelusa has. So this guy has T Rex arms, right? He's like our new age uh, fucking Sean Shirk nowadays, where he has like just T Rex arms at this point in time. Um, but luckily for him, he's not mainly a striker. He's mainly a grappler. He you doesn't utilize his reach or lean on his reach at all. It's more so crash forward throw some unorthodox strikes and hopefully try to get your, his hands on you and drag these guys to the ground. Um, I do lean ever so slightly on the Fletcher side, but I just don't feel comfortable enough at minus 150 to to lay that chalk and be like, okay, I feel confident enough in this guy to do it. I don't mind that over two and a half where the fight goes to decision looks here, man. I, I think that's a damn good spot. If anything, we learn about AJ Fletcher. This guy is durable as hell. You know, Matthew Summersberger can definitely crack and he ate every single one of his shots, especially when he was like gassed out and tired as hell, trying to take this guy down multiple times and failed more more than half the times. So uh, I like AJ here. I do think he'll probably won the first two rounds and and grind this decision out but uh probably the, the the most skeptical fight on the card for me to truly have any confidence in but i truly appreciate you breaking it down the way that you did because i think that would give people a way better of a picture of than uh, of this fight than i'd be able to paint because i just don't have the greatest feel of them all right Let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about another featherweight fighter. Sorry, the first featherweight fight of the night. It's going to be between Sean Woodson and Luis Saldana. In terms of odds, we got Chalk on the former boxer, Sean Woodson. Minus 350 is what his line is. Plus 290 is the return on Luis Saldana. <clears throat> Uh, fun fight, fun striker versus striker fight here, right? Both guys, slightly different types of strikers. Obviously, uh, Woodson relies on his boxing combinations a little bit more. Uh, he's starting to use his kicks, right? Like, that's something that we see a little bit, but not a whole lot. He likes to just stay at his range and just pickpocket these guys from the outside. Um, Luis Saldana, a little bit more of a diverse striker, likes to use his kicks, likes to use his combinations. Uh, but I think for him to win this fight, he's going to look, he's going to need to look to take it to the ground. But I just don't think he has that skill set up his sleeve to even do it let alone the cardio to do it right that's kind of been the big red flag for him over his last couple fights is as soon as fights get to that eight to nine minute mark he really starts to slow down and his able are his opponents are able to pick him apart I really think that he got a gift of a decision in his last fight against Bruno Souza, right? Like, I think uh, even MMA decisions had it overwhelmingly in favor of Bruno Souza that night. But I don't think that Woodson is going to leave any room for this fight to be that close, which is why I don't, you know, I, I see why he's minus 350. He should be able to stay at range and stay safe from anything that Saldana throws his way. And then I think he could even have the opportunity to finish uh, Luis Saldana the later that this fight goes. Uh, you know, taking maybe the round two or round three prop or even taking the plus 175 on Woodson by KO, I don't think is a bad spot. It all depends on if he actually like puts his foot on the gas and really tries to get Saldana later uh, out later in this fight. I love the bodywork that we saw from him in the Colin Anglin fight, right? Like he was obviously able to, to finish him maybe three or four minutes into that first round. If he tries to imply or uh, implement the same type of approach here, I think that will work very well for him, especially like, you know, putting money in the bank and eventually exposing that gas tank of uh, Luis Saldana later in this fight. So uh, I like the the Woodson side. 
Um, I'd rather take K- KO than chalk just to take that plus 175. But I'm not going to hate on anybody looking to, to parlay him in the spot either. Saldana is definitely not what we expected him to be, especially coming off the Condor Series. At least me. Like, I thought he had a little bit more potential. But seeing the way that he lost to Austin Lingo, seeing the way that he uh, was falling apart against Bruno Souza, I'm probably sure deserved to lose that fight. Woodson, Woodson is the side here, in my opinion. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Do you think there's any value at all on the Saldana side? Or uh, do you, are you in agreement that Woodson likely cruises in this spot? Look, it's just one of those ones where <clears throat> I'm looking at it and I'm going, man, Sean Woodson is up at like minus 350, minus 400 on, you know, and it's just like, man, uh, it's hard for me to get behind that. I mean, in this spot, right? He's a striker. He's not going to go for any takedowns. And he's fighting a guy who likes to strike, who doesn't like to be taken down, who doesn't like to be pressured, who likes an outside kickboxing fight. Sean Woodson kind of obliges to that. Yeah, he's more of a boxer, but it's not like he's pushing forward and pressuring guys and hitting them with heavy hooks. I mean, because of his crazy range, he likes to pick at guys, right? So, yeah, he's a boxer, but he's not a forward pressure boxer like Austin Lingo was, right? So he's the type of guy who will jab you, one, two, um, leg kick, body kick, stay on the outside sort of thing. He will press at times because he's a boxer in heart. You need to press in MMA if you're a boxer because you have to land your punches, which your arms are shorter than your legs, right? So you do have to press at times. But in general, Sean Woodson's game is more of a volume-based, outside, point-fighter type game, right? Which is exactly what Saldana wants. And it's exactly the type of fighter that is not going to bring that quit out of Luis Saldana. Now, because I think there's a decent level difference here in terms of overall skill sets, not styles, which I was just talking about styles. Now we're going to talk about overall skill sets. I think that Sean Woodson is clearly a level above, right? I just believe that his fight IQ is better. I think his cardio is way better. His range management is way better. His striking is a lot better, more cleaner, fundamental, all of that stuff, right? So because of that, there's a good chance that he does look his price tag. There's also a good chance that he finishes because, you know, we did see him get a finish last time out. He will pump out like 100 strikes of fight. I mean, his volume is very good, Um very, very good, you know, for a, for a fighter who fights three rounds. So, you know, but there's just there's just enough pause on the minus 350. You know, if the way I play sports betting is like, I don't have to have much of an argument for the other dude to not play a minus 350, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I don't have to love Luis Saldana for me to avoid playing a minus 350. I just have to feel like, I just have to feel like Saldana may be able to have moments. And I do think he can have moments in this fight because, look, Luis Saldana, for one round, is a good fighter. I mean, he usually wins the first round most of his fights. We saw what he did against Austin Lingo in that first round. I mean, dude was piecing him up, you know? Like, a fighter who wasn't as tough as Austin Lingo, he honestly could have finished him in that that first round. I mean, spinning back kicks, uh, flying knees. I mean, the dude was looking beautiful. He was doing the shuffle. And then obviously, too. it was a fun fight to watch live. It was. Oh, oh, you watched it live. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a good fight. I mean, the momentum swing was huge, right? Because first round, Saldana looked great. And then I think towards the first round, he started to break down a little bit. But at the end of the day, the dude's a complete gasser. But he went three rounds with Austin Lingo and the dude looked done after four minutes. So, yeah. you know, say what you want. He's got some heart in there, right? Because he managed to go to decision. Um, 
So look, man, I do think Sean Woodson's going to win the fight, but I think people are extremely confident on him. And I just think stylistically, it's not the perfect fight that you want to fight against Luis Saldana. I mean, the fight that Sean Woodson usually fights. So look, if he's smart, he'll forget about his range in a way, and he'll pressure and try and wear Luis Saldana out. But I've never seen him do it before. I don't necessarily think he's going to do it here unless he hurts Saldana. So look, Sean Woodson for the win for sure. Um, but I do think Saldana could win the first round. And so I'm not playing minus 350 at all here. Yeah, uh, Saldana, obviously, out of the fight-ready camp down there in Arizona, has great coaching, obviously, like the guys Eddie Cha and Santiago DeFranco. But you can only take a guy so far, especially if he's not able to you know, fuel the skill set that he has with the gas tank that he has. So uh, tough task for them this weekend. I hope for their sake, as, you know, obviously I'm boys with those guys. Hopefully they're able to pull it off. But tough, tough scenes I think it's going to be for them this weekend. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We're going to be talking about uh, a lightweight fight between Jared Gordon and Leonardo Santos. In terms of odds, we got minus 260 on Jared Gordon and plus 220 the return on the 42-year-old Brazilian Leonardo Santos, James, you like an old man here, or do you think Jared Flash Gordon pulls this thing off? Again, look, I'm not trying to be controversial here. I just have to tell you my honest opinion. And it's funny because there's a lot of times I'll do breakdowns and I'll just say, oh, yeah, I think every favorite's going to win. You know, I'll pick like one dog on a card. And then sometimes I'll do breakdowns like it seems like this week. And it's like every dog, I'm like, I'm making a case for them or at least yeah. making a case that you shouldn't be playing the favorite because the odds are just extremely out of whack. And again, I think the odds are out of whack. I mean, you're making Jared Gordon a minus 300 favorite. I know he's minus 270 now, but there's money come in on him. Um, just full uh, disclosure, I played Leonardo Santos. I think I got him at plus 250. Um, I think I ended up... Yeah, I got him a plus 250. You know, he's plus 220 now, as you mentioned. So money's come in on him. Um, I just think this line is wide. I mean, Jared Gordon is a good fighter. But is he a fighter that should be minus 300 against Leonardo Santos, who probably has the striking advantage here? In my opinion, no. Leonardo Santos is 42 years old. So we have to be careful when we're betting fighters, especially at lightweight classes, which this is lightweight. Um, that are 42 years old, you know. One of the big rules in MMA is that, or one of the big known phenomenons in MMA is that when you're older, it doesn't usually go so well for you, right? Your body starts breaking down, your cardio usually um, gets worse, and the game just passes you by, right? You're not going to see a 70-year-old man in, having a fist fight in the octagon, right? So, that just shows you as you get older, your body starts to break down. MMA is a young man's sport. So I have a lot of pulls back in fighters who are considerably older than their opponents. So at 42 years old, Santos is pretty much consider considerably older than anyone that could ever be his opponent in the lightweight division. You know, unless you're talking maybe Clay Guida, his last fight out, uh, Clay Guida is probably pushing, I don't know, he's 37, 38 or something there. Um, so that was a little bit closer. And he almost knocked Clay Guida out in that fight. Yeah. But look, let's just talk about that fight for a minute, right? In an alternate universe, and I think it might have been diehard MMA. Shout out to Clint. I know me and you are both friendly with Clint. Um, you especially got the podcast with him. I think Clint posted it up. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but he said in an alternate universe, Santos is coming off a first-round knockout of Clay Guida. And that couldn't be further... For, uh, 
sorry, that couldn't be closer to the truth, right? Yeah. Clay Guida was done in that first round. Santos hit him with heavy strikes, almost had him out. On another day, a referee would have stopped that fight, right? So at least Santos proven to have heavy strikes, right? At least Santos is still proving only seven, eight months ago to be able to hurt guys in round one. And Clay Guida, say what you want about him. The dude is durable as hell. The dude doesn't just get finished in round one at all by anyone, really. Um, but he almost did against Leonardo Santos. So look, I think Santos um, has a striking advantage when he has cardio here. I think he has the power advantage. I've seen Jared Gordon knocked out before. I've seen Jared Gordon hurt before, rocked multiple times. I think that could happen here. Um, another thing that we have to say is that Leonardo Santos has extremely high-level takedown defense. We saw that in his Grant Dawson fight and the Clay Guida fight. Clay Guida basically couldn't get that dude to the ground, and Clay Guida is a good wrestler. He couldn't get that dude to the uh, to the ground. Until, the only time he could get him to the ground is when he was completely cardio-deft. Grant Dawson, another good wrestler. People have called Grant Dawson an American Khabib, which I don't agree with, but the dude is like 17 and 1, takes yeah. down every one of his opponents. He couldn't get Santos down. He went two for 15 or whatever it was. I can't remember, but it wasn't many. You know, he didn't get him down a lot of times. Now, when Santos cardio deft, he was able to get him down that third round, you know, end up cashing a third round ticket for me, plus 1,400 shard to Grant Dawson with one second left Ooh. on the clock. One of the best caches of my entire career. So, you know, I was happy about that. But basically, man, I just think this line is wide. Um, Jared Gordon should win on youngness. He should win on hungriness. He should win on cardio. He should win on general volume. Um, he should be able to get Leonardo Santos down and hold him down when Santos gets tired. But I think for seven and a half minutes, Santos is live as fuck to win the fight. Um, and I also think he's live as fuck to win the first round. And then who knows what will happen in the second round. And then look, he did die in that fight against Clay Guida. But in Grant Dawson fight, who's probably a better fighter at this stage of his career than Clay Guida, um, he was one second away from losing a decision. So it's not like he's definitely going to get gassed and as instantly finished. He was gassed in that Dawson fight and still fought on. He was gassed in that fight against the Russian who did about... 20 fouls and got three points deducted or something and still fought to a decision. So I don't think he's like, as soon as he gassed out, he's going to, he's going to just give up and tap out. Right. So look, man, I think that the line is wide. And so I'm taking the shot on Leonardo Santos here. I don't hate it. I really don't hate it. I, you know, throughout fight week, the one guy that I've been kind of saying that might be the landmine as a big favorite is Jared Gordon and I'm a Jared Gordon fan right I mean I've cashed him a couple times as an underdog uh and, and but that those are the spots to play him play him as the underdog don't play him as a chalky favorite because of the liabilities that he has right his durability is a little bit questionable at times and Leo Santos you know normally a BJJ guy or at least came into the UFC as a BJJ guy has the sniper of a you know of a left hand or right hand I can't forget I can't remember which one it was that he locked out Stevie Ray with but that was one of my favorite knockouts of all time right that's kind of the the Power that we expect from Santos. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to land it here uh, on Gordon at a certain spot. But, you know, Gordon, I like his style in terms of pace and pressure and relentlessly just staying in his opponent's face and kind of making them gas out. That's how he got Daddy Chavez out of there. Uh, you know, the pace and pressure that he was able to put on Joe Selecki with his grappling. Uh, you know, his submission defense in that first round was phenomenal as well. Like, I really, really enjoyed what I seen from the Jared Gordon side of things. 
but it's just so tough to play him as such a big favorite, especially against a guy who's as dangerous as Leonardo Santos. Santos, you know, cardio could use a little bit of work, obviously, but like I, I still think, like you said, the Grant Dawson fight, we saw him stay in there for the, you know, 14 minutes and 59 seconds against a high-level athlete like Grant Dawson. So it's possible he can really keep it together um, and and give the give uh, Jared Gordon a rough night. And we saw it to Wayne today, man. He's a big dude. Like, he is a big, big dude. Uh, and I think a, a dog shot in him is, is definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Personally, I'm staying out of the, the way from the fight, like, completely. Like, I get the complete uh, dog shot here on Leonardo Santos, but I want nothing to do with this fight. Like, I'm, I'm, it's some, it's the, the age to me is, is just something that I can't get out of my head. And at a certain point, he might end up breaking against a guy like Gordon, who's able to put uh, heavy pressure onto his opponents. All right. Um, let me just uh, address some of this bullshit in the, the live chat and get some of these negative Nancys out of here. Guys, I get it. My guy, Clint. He is my boy. He is on a rough run right now. But if you guys continue to, uh, you know, put that slander out there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit that block real quick. You can say he's doing bad, but you don't have to keep shitting on him. Everybody goes through rough patches in their careers. My man went through a rough patch. He's still going through a rough patch. He'll eventually get it back together. I have no doubt about it. So why would you got to be all negative we're trying to we're all here trying to fucking have fun and and enjoy ourselves talking about fights and breaking down fights that's it just chill the fuck out y'all don't have to oh my god you're the you're the cool guy in the crowd clint sucks shut up shut the fuck up and that other guy that meddy guy i got him out of here too but like saying that i don't know these fight ready guys y'all y'all haven't seen my content before you haven't seen santiago defranco on my podcast numerous times eddie Chaw on my podcast numerous times that's it that's all I got to say. So keep it positive in the chat. Otherwise, I'm going to show you guys the door. Um, that's it. Let's have fun. That's it. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. Now that we got that out of the way, we're going to be talking about a heavyweight fight. And it is actually the prelim headliner. Very interested to hear your thoughts on this one, uh, James. And I'm going to let you kick it off as well. We got Marcin Tybura coming in as a plus what is he at now? Plus 290 underdog. Minus 350 the return on Alexander Romanov. Big, big fight here. A big spot, you know, a barometer spot, if anything, for Alexander Romanov. Finally taking on the biggest test of his UFC career. Maybe with the exception of Juan Espino. That was obviously a very tough spot as well. Um, yeah, what are you thinking here, James? You, you, you like the big, juicy uh, dog spot on uh, Tybura to go out there and pull off the upset? You know, the toughest test of Romanov's career to this point? Or you think King Kong rolls on? So, by the way, this podcast has been going. You probably know the answer to that. Who do you think I like in this spot? It's got to be Tybura, right? <laughs> Tybura, right? I mean, it's Tybura. Now, I always have to... Um, I always have to make sure the viewers know this because, and, 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 I, and I repeat myself a lot because it's important. We bet on where we think we have an edge on the line. We don't bet on who we think is going to win, right? If that was the case, I would bet every time a fight was minus 1,000, I probably think they're going to win. I, was bet on, I would bet on them, right? And I don't do that because the risk to reward is just stupid. There's no edge on the line. So, I do think there's value on Tybora in this spot, right? Am I outright picking him to win? I kind of feel like Romanov's going to be able to win, right? Um, it's funny because I want to make a big case for Tybora, but I also want to address people making big cases for Tybora because I've already bet. I've already bet 
on my team Tibora, right? So yeah. I had to bet, I think one week ago I had the bet, like seven, eight days, seven, eight days ago I did tape on this, right? It was a long time ago. Um, but everyone's on Twitter saying like Tybora is the better of the century and like, you know, he's going to easily win this fight. Romanov has no gas. So I kind of want to go at them as well. It's kind of funny. I'm in a weird position. First of all, I just want to clarify why I actually bet on Marcin Tybora, right? First of all, because uh, Alexander Romanov is like minus 400, right? So why the fuck is this dude minus 400? Because he's just going to take you down and maraud you. First of all, Tybora has shown decent takedown defense in the UFC. He's never, ever fought anyone that's going to take him down as many times as um, Romanov because there's basically no one in the uh, UFC's heavyweight division who is a takedown artist like Romanov, apart from maybe Juan Espino, right? And yeah. Tybora never fought Juan Espino. So Tybora hasn't faced this level of adversity that he's going to face in the grappling. But from what I've seen, he's you know he's a strong guy. He's a heavy guy. He's got decent takedown defense. He's got decent get-up ability. He never rests on bottom. Um, I do think that he's going to be able to stuff some takedowns here. Also, Romanov is not this amazing top control grappler. I mean, if you go back to his fights in the UFC, he got like five, take, six takedowns against Jared Vandera. He couldn't keep him down. He got about five takedowns against Rocky Martinez, who's like a, a, a middleweight posing as a heavyweight, you know, with just extra body fat. So he couldn't keep him down. So even if he does get... Um, Tybora down, which believe you me, he is going to be able to get Tybora down. I don't think he's going to be able to hold him down. I think Tybora is going to get back up to his feet. And on the feet, Tybora is probably the more polished striker. Look, at the end of the day, just like I said on the Sean Woodson, um, Lewis Saldana fight, but I'll reverse it. For me to play a plus 300, I don't need much, right? I don't need much to do that. It doesn't take me much to play a fighter who's plus 300. So... Yeah. And by the way, I got him a plus 330. There's money coming in on nice. him right now. So I just feel like Tybora is going to be able to stuff some takedowns. I think he's going to be able to make it close. If the fight does get past the first round, there are question marks on Romanov's cardio. Romanov completely gassed out in his fight against Juan Espino. He may completely gas out again. If he does gas out again, I don't think Tybora is going to be gassed out. Like Espino also was gassed out. I think Tybora is going to be the one pushing the pace and pressure. And Tybora definitely could get a finish in the third or second round, and he definitely could win a decision here. So that's my bet on Tybora. Now, to quickly dispel some of the myths on Romanov, people are basically acting. Get him. Yeah, let, let, me get these, <laughs> let me get these guys locked. Let me at them because these guys are acting like Romanov is a complete bum. Uh, uh, that, that Tybora should be minus 300 in this spot. I don't like, honestly, some of the stuff I'm reading is insane. Wait, whoa, like, whoa, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Rewind. Did you just say you saw somebody say that Tybora should be minus 300 here? I didn't see that specifically, but that is what they are acting like. So they are oh, saying okay. that, Apologies. not in those words, yeah. but they're basically saying that Romanov has zero. Basically, they're saying Romanov has zero gas, right? Yeah. Um, what they're failing to understand is that he's shown zero gas in one fight against Juan Espino. Okay. Now, in that fight, it was a grappler versus grappler. It was 100% grappling. Juan Espino was given so much adversity to Romanov in the grappling because he is one of the best grapplers the UFC's heavyweight division has ever seen. Yes, you heard me say that right. One of the best grapplers the UFC's heavyweight division has ever seen. He's only in a pool of about seven guys. So yeah, it's not yeah. that hard. But he is one of the best grapplers in, in that realm, right? So he was able to give Romanov 
adversity to which, in my opinion, Tybora is not going to be able to do. In my opinion, almost nobody in that heavyweight division is going to be able to do, right? So that's one of the reasons Romanov was so gassed is because he had to work so hard in those takedowns to get those takedowns. And also when he was on top, he got reversed once. And also Espino took him down more than Romanov took him down. So Romanov had to fight that grappling, which he's probably not used to getting taken down and stuff like that, you know, because he's the one doing the takedown. So that was one of the reasons Romanov had, you know, zero cardio, obviously not zero, but zero cardio in that fight. Also, since that fight, he's dropped 30 pounds. Yeah. Big, this big. Is yes. I'm glad that you touched on that. I'm going to add, add to it when I get to my spot, but please continue. This is something that is, you know, being ignored. In the Juan Espino fight, he weighed in at 264 pounds. In his two fights before that, he also weighed in in the 260s. In the direct fight after the Juan Espino fight, that was against Jared Vandera, he also weighed in at 265, right? He obviously felt he needed to make a change because in his fight against Chase Sherman, which was about eight, nine months later, he weighed in at 236 pounds. That's a 30-pound difference from his fight against Jared Vandera and Juan Espino and all his other fights, right? And he's still trim. If you look at him now... I think there's some abs coming through almost. And he's 236 pounds. And you look at Romanov, usually the dude is, he's, he's an overweight guy, right? That's why he had 30 pounds to lose and still be a marauding heavyweight, right? So usually when fighters lose weight, their cardio improves. I mean, losing weight just means you're, you're working on your cardiovascular system more. Most of the time, unless he's doing fucking intermittent fasting or something, right? One day fasting. He's obviously working on his cardio a lot more, right? He's tried to drop weight. So his cardio may improve. We didn't see it in his first fight at 236 pounds against Chase Sherman because he finished him in two minutes, right? But that is a caveat that people have to, you know, be included in their cap in it. Look, he might have bad cardio and it doesn't matter what weight he is. He's just got bad cardio. That happens a lot in MMA as well, but maybe it won't. So there's a few caveats that I think people are missing here. You know, Juan Espino giving him so much adversity in the grappling and also um, and also the 30-pound weight difference, right? And also, that was the first time that he had gone to the third round, I think, in his entire career. Yeah. So, yeah. again, when you go to the third round for the first time in your entire career, you're not used to it. So maybe you, your cardio is going to be worse than if you go, go to it a second time in your career. You're more used to it. You're more ready for it. We saw in McGregor's fight against Nate Diaz. But second round, he was completely gassed. The next time, he ends up going five rounds. So there's many caveats to this fight where people are just completely discounting uh, Romanov. So there, I hope I've dispelled some myths on Romanov being a complete bum. Um, I think Tybora is the value side clearly in this fight. Anybody laying minus 400 on Romanov has something wrong in their brain. And I mean no disrespect to them just from what I feel in, in my experience in sports betting over 15 plus years. Um, but yeah, man, I don't have too much to say. It was a little bit of a passionate take. Uh, I, I won't take any much, any more time on this, but in my opinion, Tybor is decided. No, I like it. I, I absolutely love the enthusiasm and I thought you brought, brought it down or broke it down very well. I do want to quickly dispel another thing here by my guy, Danny Castro. He's saying he got the DQ in and who has ever gotten DQ for something like one ball shot. It wasn't actually a DQ uh, that he uh, that he beat Juan Espino with. It was like a technical decision. So they scored the fight up until that point, which is why Romanov ended up winning that fight. So it wasn't a DQ. It was it was a technical decision. But just going off on your point about Romanov and that, uh, you know, the cardio issues from that Juan Espino fight... Uh, 
like you said, you nailed it. We saw him come in tremendous shape in his next fight. And I think that's when he finally realized that, you know, my skill, my physical abilities will only take me so far against tomato cans on the regional scene and a couple guys in the UFC. Now that I've finally faced adversity, now that I know what it feels like to fight a high-level guy, I got to bring the rest of my game together. I got to get my conditioning on point. I got to get my physique on point. I got to get everything about my game from the skill set to the physical attributes of it to that high level as well. Let's all even that stuff out, and hopefully we can see him go out there and, and showcase that. This will be his toughest fight since that supposed transformation that he'll likely have better cardio. And, and it's tough to have the confidence to delay the minus 350, minus 400 to be like, okay, he's definitely going to go out there and smash a guy in Tybura. Tybura is a tough out. But like you said, right, Tybura hasn't faced a grappling onslaught like this in the past. So I don't mind taking a plus 300 shot on a guy like Tybura to find out if he survives that early onslaught what it looks like later. But we can't dispel the the whole Romanov persona just by saying he gassed in the Juan Espino fight. He's always going to gas from that one. Like, we need to see more of it. And now that we see him taking it a little bit more, uh, you know, seriously, uh, moving over to Thailand, training at Tiger Muay Thai and all those other gyms that they got over there, I think, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of Alexander Romanov we're going to be getting on Saturday night. Not to mention, you know, the kid's 31, right? Like, he's right there in his in his prime like he's should be in the entering his prime essentially at this point so uh, i'm looking forward to seeing if you can do that here against tybura i don't hate anybody taking the shot on tybura personally i couldn't get to the to the betting window to do it myself i didn't bet romanov either this is a sit back and watch spot for me especially on the romanov side just so we can gather that data against legit competition and bet it you know, for or against moving forward. But this is going to be his toughest test. And anybody thinks that Romanov is, is a shoe-in, a lock-of-the-night player, or anything like that, I think they're, you know, I think they might be a little bit crazy at this point in time because you have to give Tybura his respect. He's fought the best of the best. And this is going to be Romanov's biggest fight to this point in time as well. So um, the good point for Tybura, the money line side is obviously the Tybura side here. Uh, I do want to quickly get your thoughts in terms of the over under one and a half. Given that you're betting the Tybura side, I believe you see this fight going over that one and a half round mark. I, I, I don't like it at the line that it's currently at. I think it's minus 175, minus 180. I think there is a good possibility that Romanov could do King Kong shit here and like get him down and possibly just smash him early in this fight, which is why I'm not overly enthused with taking that over. But I see the angle. I see why like people like to be sneaky with that over one and a half spot in some of these heavyweight fights. We see it time and time again, but I just don't know if this is going to be one of those spots. But what are your What are your quick thoughts in terms of the over? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, so you said people like to get sneaky with the heavyweight over 1.5s. I got sneaky last week. Um, I played the Bretsky and Bidet fight over yeah. 1.5. Um, that was actually a better line than what it is what it is in this fight, which is quite insane to me. I thought, you know, this is clearly a more dangerous fight for the under 1.5, but the bookies are the bookies, you know, whatever. Um, I played that. And then the week before, I also played the Spivak over 1.5, which was actually quite sweaty against Sakai, but that also cashed. I was almost going to do the free P and play this over 1.5 because I did tape before props were released and I writ down over 1.5 as a potential bet. But then when the props odds were released, it was minus 175. And I was like, at the end of the day, minus 175, it's a bit of a chalky number. You have to be, you know, 70% confident that it's going to go over 1.5. And I can't say 70% here. I honestly can't. Because at the end of the day, 
it might get out of the first round, but we still got two and a half minutes into that second round. Like one and a half rounds, I've been burnt on one and a half rounds where they finish early into the second round before, you know? So you have to take that into account as well. He might not finish in the first round, but then you still got another half round, which is a long time. I think that he's definitely going to get takedowns in the first round. I, I think that's a, almost a guarantee that Romanov will get two or three takedowns in the first round. And so it, you're playing with fire when you're betting a minus 200 in some books at over 1.5. So I'm staying off it, but I do think it goes over 1.5. I like it. All right. Let's get toward the main card. But before we do, shout out to the 150 live viewers that we currently have. Appreciate what you guys rocking with us on this Friday night. Seems like a lot of people like this uh, Friday night spot. I remember I used to do the odds.com breakdowns 9 p.m. every Friday night with me, uh, Cody, and uh, Just Bleed and MMA Prediction Guru. And we used to pull very, very solid numbers. Once that disbanded, that's when I created the, the Ultimate Wayne Show and wanted to get that 9 p.m. time spot uh, just for myself. But, uh, you know, I like getting it out a little bit earlier as well, like as close to the weigh-ins finishing as possible. So there's more time for people to, to digest it. I love the live atmosphere, the live chat atmosphere. You know, we get the trolls that come in every now and then, but we also get the, the solid amount of positive uh, guys, you know, going back and forth and really enjoying themselves in here. Uh, so, yeah, appreciate everybody hanging with us. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Show my guy James some love as well. I have his Twitter account linked in the description below. So make sure you guys hit that and then give him a follow over there because i promise you guys can already tell we, we did the prelims this guy is one of the sharpest motherfuckers i've ever talked to on the show and if it isn't uh you know evident here you guys will be able to see it on his timeline as well so make sure you guys go show him some love all right let's get to the main card here we're going to be talking about a 205 pound bout and it is the light heavyweight debut of one harry hunsucker Main event, of the, the main, main event, event of the evening. The main event of the evening. Hurricane Harry Hunsucker coming in at plus 530, going up against Tyson Pedro at minus 730. Uh, I'm sure you saw the weigh-ins this morning. To me, Hunsucker still looked a little bit like, you know, he looked a little bit rough on the scales to me, honestly. But if anything, that just, you know, gives me further confidence that this fight will go more than likely like all of his fights go probably won't see the second round right like it's crazy to see a guy with 12 professional mma fights never seeing a second round in his professional mma career but that's just a further testament to how he fights he either goes out there and gets that kill early or ends up going out on his shield similar to daniel de silva on the first fight of the night here um i cannot fathom playing parlaying you know, Tyson Pedro at minus 900 in this spot. I, I would rather chop off one of my balls than parlay him, uh, you know, uh, at this spot. Like, yes, he should win. Yes, he should cruise. But this is MMA at the end of the day. And you're talking about two big boys who throw with a lot of heavy leather. Uh, you know, I'd say Hunsucker probably with more power than Tyson Pedro. So he could absolutely land on the chin of him and put him down in this spot. But like I still do end up going on the the Tyson Pedro side in terms of him, you, you know, he might go back to what he did in the Ike Villanueva fight, chop away at that calf, and then just let that open up the rest of your game. And it feels like you can do that here against you know a, a guy in Harry Hunsucker who's kind of slow and kind of plodding. You know, if Tyson uses his range effectively here, he can really touch him up from the outside. Even if he, you know, I, I think there is a, a club and sub opportunity as well for Tyson Pedro. That's, you know, if people go back and watch his fights, that's kind of his path to victory most of the time is getting guys to the ground and punishing them there, opening up submission opportunities. And his submission prop is actually plus 300. 
not bad. You know, I mean, not bad for a guy uh, with that type of prowess and that knack for wanting to take guys to the ground and finish them there. Uh, Hunt Sucker KO round one. I've seen anywhere between plus 1,500 and plus 2,200. <laughs> There's something in the back of my mind like, hey, just take a point one unit shot on it. Just just who knows? It's Tyson Pedro. This guy's flaky as fuck. You know what I mean? He could absolutely fumble the bag here. Um you know, the under one and a half, like, you know, closing in on minus 400 at this point in time. Not often do you see that type of a number at a minus 400, unless it's maybe a Charlie Ontiveros fight or a Terrence McKinney fight. But those guys all have the same thing that Harry Onsucker does. They don't like going to the third round. That You know what I mean? They don't even like going halfway into the second round. So that's why you see a big number there. Um, you know, I would rather play the under one and a half than even consider playing Tyson Pedro in this spot if I'm forcing myself to bet anything here. But... Outside of that, you know, I, I don't want much action. I'll go Pedro, Pedro first round finish, but, you know, violence over anything. And if you can get any good line at all for violence in this fight, I, I'd, I'd consider it. Let me just quickly see what the fight doesn't start round two is sitting at. Uh, fight won't start round two, minus 280, minus 260 on most spots. Still chalky, but that is just a further testament to the Harry Hunsucker style of fighting. And that is, we don't do second rounds, guys. We don't do second rounds. I'm going Pedro, Pedro, first round finish, but violence more than anything. What are you thinking here, man? Uh, any, any value on the light heavyweight newcomer, or uh, do you think Pedro cruises in this spot? God, man. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I don't think there's any value on him, honestly. I mean, what has he shown me? To, to prove that there's any value on him. He hasn't shown us, abs oh God, he's shown us absolutely nothing in the UFC. He blocked a kick from Justin Tuffer and fell on his ass and the fight got stopped, you know? He blocked a kick. And by the way, Justin Tuffer is an absolute unit of a man. I mean, the dude's got, like, his thighs are probably as big as four of my arms, biceps put together, you know what I mean? And he kicked him with that thigh but Harry Hansuck is also a heavyweight. He blocked it, went down, and he just got knocked out. People do get knocked out through their guard. But, I mean, look, man, Hansucker's not UFC level, nowhere near UFC level. Hansucker's regional scene level. Um, and the guy quits in every fight that he doesn't get an early knockout in. It's funny because when this fight was announced, I thought I'd have a max bet on the under 1.5 rounds, right? I thought it might be a minus 200 or something. I played the under 1.5 rounds in that Justin Tuffer fight. I'm pretty sure it was like minus 220 or something. I think it was. I, I can't remember, but it was a minus 400. No way. And so I thought, oh, I'll just have 11 units on the minus 200 under 1.5 and call it a day, profit five units and just walk off laughing. But then they open it at minus 400 and I'm just like, you bastards, you know, they, they know <laughs> what they're doing. The bookies are getting a lot sharper. Um, it's evident, I think. So, uh, it's hard to tackle this fight under 1.5 rounds. There's an argument to be made that the under 1.5 rounds hits more than 90% of the time. And it's currently showing at 80% indication on the line. So there's an argument to be made that any type of violence under 1.5, there's value in it. Um, I think Pedro's going to finish him in round one. I think Pedro's going to finish him in leg kicks, honestly. Um, Hunt Sucker can't take a leg kick. He gets hit, hit twice in the leg and it looks like he's never sparred in his entire life. And by the way, Tyson Pedro is a leg-kicking motherfucker, right? Tyson Pedro is very shaky, right? He's a glass cannon in a way, but he's got very good leg kicks, you know? We saw it in the Villanueva fight. We saw it in the Shogun Hua fight, I believe. We saw it in multiple fights that he's fought. Um, I think that he gets a, a leg-kick TKO in this fight. I mean, probably not a leg-kick TKO. Probably leg-kicks him. He starts wobbling, then he just finishes him on the feet, right? 
Um, but I think the leg kicks could easily win it for him. Now, the only pause, I'll just give one contrarian take because yeah, everyone that you listen to break down this fight is going to agree, right? Well, the only contrarian take I will say is that Hansak is moving down to 205. There's added variance there. Who the fuck knows what's going to happen? 205 might be a completely different human. I don't know. And then also Tyson Pedro in his last fight looked way more calculated, way more calm than he's ever looked in his entire career. And that was after like a two or three year layoff. Yeah. So he's obviously worked on that. So, you know, those things combined, you never know. You never know. But um, I think Tyson Pedro KO in round one. I think it's going to happen. If you want to take a shot on Tyson Pedro inside the distance props, maybe submission round one is plus 500. It's probably, you know, decent way to look at it. But I think it's going to be TKO in round one, personally. I like it. I like it. I'm glad that we're, we pretty much agree on that. But I think everybody agrees on that fight. But we'll talk about the chaos that might ensue in Utah if Harry Hogsucker goes out there and KOs this guy on one. I think uh, the, the the bookies, you know, we know everybody's putting Pedro into their parlay, even though they shouldn't. The bookies are going to be laughing to the bank if Harry Hogsucker pulls it off. We'll see. All right. Next fight on the card. Again, very sketchy placement for this fight, but we got to do our job nonetheless here, James. We're talking about Lucy Pudilova going up against Yanan Wu. In terms of odds, we got minus 125 on Pudilova, plus 105 the return on Yanan Wu. Uh, I'll serve this one up to you first, my friend. What do you think Lucy Pudilova will look like in her first or fight back to the UFC after going one, uh, five and one on the regional scene after getting cut after losing to Justine Kish? What do you think in here? You think she uh, has a successful UFC return, or does Yunnan Wu throw a wrench in her plans? Of course, you gave this one to me first. <laughs> hey, you know I'm alternating this shit. We're alternating. It's just unfortunate you ended up on this one. <laughs> ah, just unfortunate. Yeah, all right. I'll um, I'll, I'll, I'll do first. the no, I'll do the dirty work. Look, man, go for it. Go for it's it. nothing against it's nothing against women's MMA because people always say you know women's MMA is bad, but Women's MMA is amazing. You know, we've got some great women's MMA fights over the years. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the the sport of women's MMA is about 10 to 15 years behind male MMA. Just because when you're talking 20 years ago, there was no women's MMA. It wasn't, it didn't, it didn't exist, right? But men's MMA it, it existed, right? So um they're still behind. Uh, men's MMA in terms of the skill set, in terms of the amount of time they've practiced on the sport. So the fights are usually lower level, right? And in general, MMA is more of a male sport. It's more of a male-dominated sport, right? So those two reasons, a lot of times women's MMA can be a little bit lower level, a little bit more boring. And I think that's what we've got here. You know, it's on the pay-per-view. I don't understand why. Um, there's an absolute banger on the prelims. I mean, there's a couple, but what was that banger we've got? Uh, and we've got, I mean, Tyson Pedro, uh, uh, sorry, Marcin Tybor and Romanov is on the prelims. And then you've got uh, Pudlova and Yanan Wu on the main that card. Was, so so the Romanov fight was actually supposed to be on the main, uh, main card, yeah. and then they moved it down to the prelims. Uh, I, I think the reasoning behind that is because they want that fight to be the one that people go into with the pay-per-view. Right. Like, oh, okay, I see these heavyweights fucking giving us chaos. Take right. my money. I'm going to buy the pay-per-view. But like, if that's the case, nobody knows who Romanov is. Nobody knows who Tybura is. Why not put Alta Moreno and De Silva up there? Because we know that's guaranteed violence that will likely finish within 10 yeah. minutes. That's the type of fight people will want to see to eventually buy a pay-per-view. But who knows with the UFC yeah. nowadays? Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. who knows? Because sometimes, I mean, it seems like every week I'm going back and forth on someone with Twitter about how stupid their lineup is, you know? So they do these things for a reason, but 
every week I'm saying that their lineup's terrible. So I don't know what reason they're going to use every week, you know. Yeah. But anyway, um, look, I think this fight is a close fight. I think this fight's going to come down to a, a close decision. Uh, I think this fight is going to decision. I don't think any fighter has decent um, finishing upside, you know, almost none. Um, look, Pudalova, she's gone on like a five-fight win streak uh, or was it like a four-fight win streak on the regional scene. She did get cut from the UFC. Um, but look, she's going to a decisions with uh, split decisions with girls that are four and two. And then she went to another decision with her. And now she's five and five. You know, she's a 500 fighter. Now, I will say that, um, you know, she did lose against Stoliarenko and then the two losses against Pudalova. So it kind of makes her record look worse than it is. But she's fighting low level of competition on the regional scene. And she's getting recalled back up into the UFC, to which she done terrible in the UFC. She went like one and five or something, was it? Or like one and four? I'm just going to bring up yeah, her record yeah. now. Um, it yeah. was not a great record. She's 13 and seven overall right now. So so, it's, so I'm just looking at her record now in the UFC. She went two and five, right? So I two, mean... Yeah, two and five. It's crazy that they actually kept around to have four straight losses, right? Like usually yeah. it's a sayonara after three, but they gave her that Justine Kish fight and still couldn't come out on the winning end. And it's kind of crazy because the third fight, which would be the Sayonara fight, she got dominated on the ground by yeah. amazing grappler Antina Nishevchenko. <laughs> and for those of you Look at who this don't tongue-in-cheek motherfucker over here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely tongue-in-cheek because Antonina Shevchenko, as we know, she's a pure Muay Thai fighter, gets dominated on the ground in every fight, and she dominated Pudalova on the ground, was able to get a rear naked choke. So terrible look for Pudalova. Has she improved since that fight way back in 2020, you know, two years ago now? Maybe. I mean, looking at the regional scene, I did watch some of our regional scene fights, regrettably. Um, one of the things that I noticed was that she went for more takedowns yeah. in the regional yeah. scene than I saw her go for in the UFC. So maybe she's added some takedowns into her game. Look, man, I'm trying to string out a breakdown for this fight. <laughs> but I should probably just stop talking. I don't know who's going to win. It's a close fight. I think it's going to be a pitter-patter decision. I'm going to take Pudelova. I think she has the takedown upside. But I also think Yana Wu has takedown upside. So I don't know, man. I I'm going to say Pudelova gets it done. But this is a horrible fight. And I don't have a strong read on it. So just ignore me. And <laughs> listen to Lock break this down. Because hey, it's your turn to do the dirty work. Man. I've done enough. Give me the gloves. Give me the gloves. I'll, I'll start to take over with this. But uh, no, man, I, I largely agree with you. It's tough to, to see a fighter with such a big hole in the game. And she even got exposed with it in the regional scene. Like, Former UFC fighter Talita Bernardo was able to just grind her out over 15 minutes, even in her hometown, right? So very unfortunate to see that from that that from her. Whoever takes the grappling approach here will likely win, but that's going to end up being you know a 15 minute kickboxing fight. And if we are going to have a legit 15 minute kickboxing fight here, I will slightly lean the Pudilova side in terms of her ability to land the better. Uh, damage the better strikes, the more efficient strikes compared to the you know just the empty volume of uh, Yan or Wu Yanan, right? That's kind of what she throws. We saw it in the Mero, Myra Bueno Silva fight. She seemed to be the more active fighter when you're watching the fight, but it was actually Silva that just slightly outlanded her. But not just outlanded her, she also landed the bigger and heavier strikes, with, which were favoring more so in the judges' eyes. Um, I think that's what we're going to end up seeing here as well. But I'm not even counting out the possibility that Pudilova goes to what we saw in the regional scene, goes for those takedowns. Because I noticed it was like right after that Toledo-Bernardo fight, she goes, I guess I, takedowns wins fights. I, I didn't realize takedowns win fights, even though I've lost five fights in the UFC due to takedowns. 
Now it's time to add takedowns to your game. Maybe she pulls it off here against Yanan Wu. This might be the spot to do it with, right? I'm not going to completely count out uh, Wu Yanan on the ground. You know, she has clearly been working on it. She has a uh, former Bellator fighter, Marlon Sandro, in her corner every now and then. I believe she's gotten him up to a, a purple belt at this point in time. You know, and we saw her have that uh, close uh, arm bar submission attempt on Jocelyn Edwards and Edwards' uh, UFC debut. Hopefully, Pudulova is well-rounded enough to this point to not get subbed, you know, armbar from guard. But I'm not leaving that out of the realm of possibility. So, all in all, this this fight, if if you take anything from these two breakdowns that me and James are doing here, there's no reason to bet this fight. There's there's 11 other fights on this card that you can look to to, to go on and have more confidence in. You know, there's, there's certain women's MMA fights, and I, and I want to put this out there. People refuse to bet on women's MMA fights because women's MMA. But I think that's just a a lazy way of getting yourself out of betting a fight, right? Uh, personally tracked women's MMA is the best for me. I absolutely kill it in the women's MMA realm because you're able to see those discrepancies, whether it's the favorite or the underdog, but these specific fights like the Purilova and Wu fight, that is your definition of a fight. That's more than likely a coin flip fight. Like that is literally, these women are going to hit each other as many times as they can over 15 minutes. And it's just going to come down to the judge who saw the better shots. That's what it's going to come down to. Uh, I'm kicking myself for not actually taking the underdog odds on Nina Nunes last week at plus 170 because I expected that to be the same thing. And there was another fight where I was kind of just dismissing and saying I want nothing to do with, but I should have just taken the plus 170 on Nina Nunes even while predicting her. And she comes out with her hand raised. And, and again, another close fight could have gone either way If from, from what I've from from what i been reading. I didn't even watch the fight. Literally, when I caught back up on the fights, I just skipped through it and then just waited for like either a finish, which... Let's be honest, there wasn't going to be a finish in that fight anyway. <laughs> uh, and then seeing the decision there and seeing that Nina got her hand raised. Uh, this is a similar fight. No real conviction on either side. The odds aren't good enough on either side to really tempt me into a bet. I'm good. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay, uh, stay off of it. Yeah, that, that's when you bet those fights, right? You bet a fight, and I know you passed, but that's when you bet the fights. When you've got a close fight, but one's plus 170, you know? Yeah. I did it last week with another women's MMA fight. I didn't do it with the with the Nina Nunes fight, but with them two... Um, them two Yasmin and uh, Yaragui. Yeah. and Yuregi. Great fight, right? One was plus 175 and one was minus... Two. I bet the plus 175 and it was a good fight. I didn't see it playing out like that, so I'm not going to take too much credit. But I spoke heavily about there's so much variance on this fight. People were so confident on Yasmin Yuregi, but I said, look... It looks like striker versus grappler, but at the end of the day, the main thing is that there's extreme amount of variance. One fight is 20 years old, and one fight is plus 170. It's just absolutely insane. And obviously, that proved to be the case there. You know, whatever, the bet lost, but it, it was a great bet. So that's when you take the shots. You don't take the shots on the women's MMA when there's high variance involved, when you have a minus 103 in Yanan Wu and a minus 120 in Lucy Pudalova. That's when you pass, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I, I agree. Unless you can like legitimately stake claim and say I have a tremendous confidence in this spot, which is very hard to say, especially in a close fight like this, just to stay off it. Again, there's 11 other fights on the card, and there's going to usually be another UFC event next weekend. Not next weekend, but like usually there is an event next uh, the following weekend. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, and it is the fight that me and James are most excited about on this card. I can't wait to break this thing down. We got the legend Jose Aldo coming in at plus 120. The return on Marab Davalishvili is minus 140. Now, we can all agree upon that this is the toughest test today for Marab Davalashvili, right? Similar to Alexander Romanov, his toughest date to is Marcin Tybura. But, 
you know, this this ain't no Marcin Tybora. This is Jose Aldo who's still showing that he can compete at a very high level, especially considering the three fight winning streak that he's on right now, right? The 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 beating of Chito Vera. I think he won the first round there and then grinded out that third round, tapping into his veteran experience to win that fight. Uh, then the Pedro Munoz fight, looking career best, but that is probably more so due to Pedro's style, right? Slow plotting moves forward, very hittable. Jose Aldo was able to, you know get off on him very easily that fight uh and then the rob fawn fight you know a lot of people counted him out there if i'm not mistaken fawn was a slight favorite in that spot and aldo stayed in there for the full five rounds and beat the shit out of him you know did a very good job you know he got outstruck on numbers but he did land the more damaging blows uh and was able to get his hand raised that night by decision so shout out to to jose aldo for still keeping the dream alive at 35 years old uh, th this is going to be a tough one. You know, this is going to be the first time he faces as many takedowns as he's going to be getting uh, here from Arab. And I, I feel like, you know, that 90% takedown defense, that's throughout his career. Like that used to be like one of his, um, that used to be his calling card. Like when he would fight the Chad Mendezes or any other guys that would look to take him down, they might be able to get him down, but like they don't hold him down for long. You know, the one statistic that's been thrown out a lot this week is, the, the only time he's been taken down more than twice in a fight was one time by Frankie Edgar. And Edgar was only able to land, uh, or sorry, accrue of like 50 se 57 seconds of control time, not even a full minute. You know, looking through it, like it was earlier in his career where he was getting controlled a lot by guys. You know, Kenny Florian was able to get six minutes of control time against him, but people forgot to look over the fact that Kenny was coming down a weight class. He was a big dude, high-level BJJ guy, so he had some success there. But anytime the fight was on the feet, he was getting his ass kicked. And, you know, I believe that Aldo has a decided striking advantage in this spot. I believe Aldo still has a chops to get back to his feet after he inevitably gets taken down over and over again here. But it depends on the amount of damage he's going to be able to inflict in this spot because Barab can take him down 15 times if he wants. But if he's not landing any damage or doing anything on top, you got to lean with the damage that you're going from the Jose Aldo side. At least that's what I'm hoping that the judges will see. And that's where it seems like the judges have been scoring a lot recently, right? Uh, I think a good recent example was uh, the contender series, Jack Cartwright against Jose Johnson. We saw Cartwright landing takedown after takedown, but he was doing nothing on top. And we saw Jose, uh, Jose Johnson, surprisingly same name as Jose Aldo, but Jose Johnson going out there and landing the damage on the feet. Aldo could do the same thing here. And I think there is a possibility, you know, I'm not putting all my eggs in this basket, but I think there's a possibility that Aldo could land a knockout spot in here too. Because I just think that Marab is a little bit too sloppy on the feet. He allows his like static movement and is just like erratic, reckless style to allow him to close that distance to get that takedown. But that's going to leave so many openings for Aldo to counter him on the way in, whether it's with his knees, whether it's with his combinations. We saw the left hook of Mar uh, Marlon Reich, you know, flatline Marab, or not flatline him, but at least put him on wobbly legs. Aldo is more than capable of doing the same thing here. So I haven't bet it yet, but I am definitely going to be betting Aldo money line in this spot. I'm just wondering how much more love we're going to see on the Marab side before I decide to enter in on that Aldo spot. Like I said, I'm seeing plus 120 right now on DraftKings. I'm thinking tomorrow that we're going to get some more Marab love coming in, and I might be able to get Aldo maybe up to plus 130, plus 140. So I'm going to sit tight. I'm going to wait. I'm hoping, you know, I, and I'll be the first one to admit, I'm horrible at line predicting, right? Like, that's one of my my weakest aspects of my game. I, I suck at predicting lines. But based on the amount of hype and love that I'm seeing from Rob out there, I'm thinking that we might see that money start to come back in uh, tomorrow on fight day. So give me Jose Aldo. Uh, I'm going to, you know, one last ride with the, with the, with the legend here. Um, and before I pass on over to you, James, the, the last thing I'll say about this, 
yes, I did bet Dominic Cruz last week. I put three units on Dominic Cruz on his money line. I put two units on his decision-only prop. I do not regret the bet. The only thing I regret is how deep I went on it. And that's one something that I'm going to be looking to kind of change here for the, the Aldo fight, right? I might not go more than two units. I'll probably think between one to 1.5 units to go on him here because he's already an underdog. So we're already making good money betting on him. There's no need to get greedy and go all out and go, you know, two, three units on him in this spot. If he still has it, which he seems to be proving over his last three fights, he's going to make this a very difficult night for Marab. So uh, give me Aldo. Um, and, and give me Aldo, hopefully by KO. You know what I mean? I dropped that for the prop squad on the action network. Hopefully that comes through for your boy, but I'll just be happy with the straight up Jose Aldo winning the spot. So give me Jose knockout. What are you thinking here, James? Am I am I off and not giving Marab enough love here, or does the legend uh, reign supreme once again? I'm 50-50 on this fight, honestly. Um, <clears throat> it's a close fight. One thing I just want to say quickly for you and for anybody, um, anybody watching in the same boat, uh, line line predicting is very hard, right? You never know yeah. when a favorite's going to get more love or the underdog's going to get more love. So a good thing to do in that spot, if you are proven to not be very good at predicting the line, which most people find it quite hard to predict the line because there's a lot of outside factors that influence it. Sometimes you think, oh, everybody's on Twitter is on one guy. The line's going to go that way. And then the line literally goes the opposite way. So there's lots of factors that, that, that influence it. I mean, it's all to do with money, um, and yeah. the sport books balancing the amount of action on either side. Um, but there's outside factors that you don't know about um, influencing the line. For example, it's not only Twitter, right? It's syndicates and it's people in Vegas and the sports book themselves and stuff like that. But uh, what I usually do, if I, if I don't know what way a line is going to go, is I just take the line. I just take the line, whatever it is. I don't guess. I don't wait. Because if you are on the right side, then usually the market will move with you right yeah. and if you have been betting for long enough <clears throat> and if you're tracked and you know that majority of the time you are on the right side or you're profitable long term then that means that more often than not you will be on the right side so if you just take the line straight up for what it is the market will probably move to that side anyway so it just takes that risk element out of it so i usually just take whatever line it is unless i know for a fact the line's going to go or I'm pretty confident the line is going to go. <clears throat> Just a little tip for people trying to bet. I hope they understood with the way I explained it. But in terms of this fight, um, like I said, it's 50-50 for me. I honestly think that people are, because I, I think a lot of people are on Aldo here. Um, most of the takes I've seen on Twitter have been on Aldo. I don't have any money invested in it personally. Um, but I think that there's been a mis big misconception about this fight. And I did post about it on Twitter earlier. I think four or five days ago. And the, one of the bis, big misconceptions about this fight is that I feel um, most people or a lot of people are basing their Aldo predictions on this fact, right? Apparently, this is what people are saying. Aldo has fought this type of fight uh, his entire career. And what they're trying to say is that Aldo has fought against fighters who are trying to take him down his entire career. Aldo built his name off Take down, take down defense and knocking you out or hurting you on the feet, right? That's what he built his name off in the WSC, WEC and early um, UFC days, right? But this is a whole different type of fighter. This is not a takedown artist. This is a pace fighter. It's completely different, right? So this is not a fighter like Chad Mendes, who's just going to try and take you down and grind you out on the floor. This is a fighter who's going to throw 80 significant strikes on the feet. 
and then mix in takedowns, get you tired, stay in your face, never give you a second to breathe. So a lot of people who are looking at Aldo's 90% takedown defense, looking at uh, Marab's 10 takedowns a fight, and they're equating the two, they're, big, they're missing a big thing here. It's not like, oh, Aldo's got great takedown defense, Marab is a takedown fighter, Aldo's going to be able to win. No, Marab is a pace and pressure fighter. He's going to put that pace on Aldo. He's going to stick the jab in Aldo's face consistently. He's going to hit Aldo with tons of leg kicks and head kicks and push kicks. And then he's going to do crazy double legs. He's going to push him up against the fence. He's going to um, do this type of stuff. So that's a big misconception here. Not, not talking to you at all, just talking to what I've seen on Twitter. People need to understand that um, there's a big difference between who Aldo has fought in his prior career and who he's fighting here. Now, in terms of the actual fight, I think that Aldo can still do decent against the pace and pressure fighter, right? Because his takedown defense is going to help him in this spot. It's not completely useless in this spot. Marab's going to be shooting for takedowns. Aldo has amazing takedown defense. I do think that's going to help him in this fight. Um, I think Marab is extremely open on the feet. That's something else that needs to be mentioned. We saw in his Marlon Marias fight, he was hurt. We saw in another fight, I can't remember what it was, but he was hurt in that fight. He's very open on the feet. His striking defense is not good. And that lends itself to being a good pace and pressure fighter because he's always in your face, always trying to hurt you. So when, when you do that, you're in a line of fire. You're in that danger zone. You're in that pocket boxing zone because you're trying to put the pace on someone. You can't put the pace on someone from 10 feet away. You have to be in their face. <clears throat> so when he's in Aldo's face, I think there's going to be many, many opportunities for Aldo to land, first of all, heavy leg kicks. I know usually you don't land a leg kick from close range, but apart from the pace and pressure that Marab brings, I do think that Aldo is going to be able to maneuver and land leg kicks here. We saw him have trouble a little bit with the leg kicks in the Marias fight. And um, I also think that Aldo is going to be able to land heavy hooks in this fight, right? Aldo's got very good hooks, hooks to the body, hooks to the head. And um, I think Marab is going to get caught once or twice with this fight in this fight heavily. Now, Aldo TKO is sitting at plus 400, plus 500. I don't mind that. I think Marab is, Marab is a motherfucker. If he gets hurt, he's not going to be, he's not just going to be scared for the next 15 minutes of the fight. Because that's what happens in a lot of fights. You know, sometimes I've bet an under and the fighter gets hit once and then he just cowers for the next 15 minutes. You know, he doesn't engage. Marab is not going to do that. If Marab gets hurt, he's going to go forward even more. Like we saw in the Mariah's fight, right? He just didn't stop. Um, so I think this fight is going to be a car crash because Marab always makes it a car crash. Jose Aldo is not a Sean O'Malley. He's not going to dance on the outside. He's going to oblige in that car crash. He's going to hit Marab with heavy shots. Um, I just don't know whether Jose Aldo at 37 years of age, um, 35. You know, 35 years of age with 25 years of professional yeah. martial arts experience under his book. Um, I don't know whether he's going to be able to withstand that pace and pressure that Marab brings. Um, look, I think that Aldo's takedown defense is going, to, is going to help him in this fight. I think that his power punching is going to land in this fight. Um, as I said, look, I'm 50-50 on this fight. Uh, I don't have an outright prediction. I just, I'm worried that Aldo is going to crumble under the pressure or at least lose a decision under the pressure, a clear second and third round. But I'm also worried that Marab is going to get his face taken off by a heavy outer hook. So, again, 50-50 there. Hopefully, I've given some viewers maybe some points that they 
they underestimated or that they didn't think about. I'm sorry that I can't give the viewers an outright prediction because I am saying it's a 50-50 fight, but those are my thoughts on the fight. And that's why I am passing on the fight because I'm wishy-washy and I think both <laughs> fighters can have, ex can have success. I'll say this in regards to the 90% takedown defense. I think you're right on the head with that one, right? Like he hasn't fought a wrestler like this because he's not really wrestling. It's more like, yes, of course he's wrestling, but it's the pace that's fueling that wrestling. And that's not something that Aldo has faced in the past. So I know that 90% takedown defense is not going to look like 90% once it, you know, once Saturday comes, it's more so reliant on uh, Aldo's ability to keep getting back to his feet. I think, I'm hoping that he can continue to do it for at least 10 minutes and then survive, you know, the last uh, five minutes if this does end up going the full 15. But, uh, you know, you're giving me a guy like Jose Aldo at plus 120 uh, in, in Marab's toughest fight to date. Like, I think we can all agree that this is easily his toughest fight to this point. So to to take the chalk on Marab, I think, is a little bit crazy. Not Sorry, not crazy. I, I don't want to rag on anybody. You know, if you think Marab can do what Marab does... You know, minus one forty isn't a horrible line. It's it's not a bad line at all. But I do have that confidence on the Jose Aldo side to take that plus money. I'm hoping that he pulls it off. I, I put the uh, the tinfoil turban on, if you want to call that call it that, and said maybe Jose Aldo club and sub if uh, Marab gets a little bit too wild and gets uh, gets caught with something because we know you know if we saw anything from the Marlon Moraes fight, you know you can hit this guy with anything. He's still going to be there. Maybe you have to hit him with something and then eventually get his neck and and put him completely out. Jose Aldo by submission is like some crazy number. I think it's like uh, plus yeah plus eighteen hundred. I'm saying I, I'm not saying to bet it, but I'm just. You know, I want to be that guy that I can clip this after Saturday night if he ends up getting that submission and be like, hey, I saw I told you guys. No, I'm I'm joking. I, I don't want to be that guy. But uh yeah, I'm hoping Aldo Aldo KO would be meant, but uh, even Aldo straight up one would be nice as well. Shout out to my guy capping surface as well with the twenty dollar dono coming through saying my guys appreciate my guy over there. All right. Can I, yeah, can go I ahead. Ask a quick opinion on one go of the props for this fight because I haven't took it myself, but I did look at it heavily. I just I don't think I'm going to get to the window because of how much of a decisionator Marab has proven to be. But the fight doesn't go to decision. It's plus 160. It, it's, it's a good, healthy, juicy plus number. And the case that I would make for it is the case I made on Aldo's side. I think the hooks are going to be there heavily. I think the um, you know Marab's going to put himself in the line of fire against someone like Aldo. He should have had a finish against Rob Font. He's had finishes in his career. Marab's toughest fight of his career. He almost got knocked out in his last fight. I mean, there's a lot to like on the Aldo TKO side, in my opinion. And then on the Marab side, he's a machine. You know, I don't know if Aldo's going to be able to keep up with that pace, especially if he's trying to hit Marab heavy like Marias did. He might just crumble under the pressure. Uh, what what are your thoughts on the uh, fight doesn't go to decision at plus 160 range? I, I think that it's... I think the finish is more so on the Aldo side. Like I'm seeing the takes for like Aldo's cardio is horrible, but we've really only seen it, you know, fail him in five round fights. And this is only a three round fight. And albeit it might feel like a five round fight going up against a guy like Marab. So that's definitely there, but I lean more so, uh, I lean more so this fight going the decision. Like that's why I don't mind teasing the, the plus 450 plus 500 and Aldo by KO because I think if there is a finish it's likely on that side and I'd rather take plus 500 than plus 150 and hope that Marab actually gets a finish but 
yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not liking it myself too, too much. Uh, you're thinking about uh, pulling the trigger there, or what? No, I, I, I think I'm not going to get there just because of Marab's never really proven to be a finisher, apart from the Marais fight. And Marais honestly only died because he tried to kill yeah. Marab, and then he died himself. So who knows how that fight would have went? It, but I did, I did play Marab in round two and round three and the under in that fight. So I was quite yeah. confident that didn't go to decision. But I, no, I'm not going to play it myself. I don't think so. Uh, maybe I'll look at some more tape. But I thought it was kind of juicy, plus 160. But yeah, I just wanted your opinion. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a violence guy. I love betting violence. If especially if you get you're giving me a plus number on certain spots, I, again for some reason I can't fully get there uh, as well. If you do, good luck to you, and hopefully it's the Aldo side that ends up cashing you inside the distance. But uh, yeah, I'll be happy with an Aldo win no matter what. All right, let's move on to the co-main event here. Fun fight at 185 pounds between two guys who whose last fights actually took place at 205 pounds, coincidentally. But now they're back in their natural weight class of 185 pounds. We're going to be talking about Paulo Bohatinha Costa. He's coming in at minus 345, plus 285 is the return on Mr. Luke Rockhold. James, I'm going to let you kick this fun one off, man. At another spot where I feel like people, they're, they're banking on that KO a little bit too heavily here. But if it doesn't come to fruition, Luke Rockhold might remind us why he was once a middleweight champion. What are you thinking here? Yeah, so I know I've been on a lot of underdogs here. At least I've said I'm passing on the big chalky minus 300, 400 favorites, right? Not necessarily pulling the trigger on the underdogs. Maybe on some of them I am, um, but some fighters I can't trust at minus 300, 400. But I, a few people in the chat like, um, oh, damn, like he's making me rethink every favorite. Uh, but two favorites I do like on this card is the co-main and the main. So I actually like Paolo Costa in this spot. I think he's deserving of minus 300. Um, I don't see what Luke Rockhold has for him in this fight. Um, in my opinion, Luke, Hold, Luke Rockhold has been washed. In my opinion, he has been washed for multiple years. Um, I cashed on Yan against him. Uh, and he was a favorite in that fight. I think I, I would, hey, I'll, I'll admit it. I was heavy on Luke that night. I, I felt really good about him. I've been big on Luke in the past. But I'll, I'll admit where I'm wrong, and I was definitely wrong that yeah. night. Yeah, so uh, what I'm trying to say is I've, I, have, I have had the feeling that Luke has been washed for many, many years, right? Going back to the Yan fight. I thought he was past it at that point. Um, I just had the feeling. I know it was an early knockout from Bisping, but I don't know. I just had the feeling that he he was, you know, kind of going up to light heavyweight. It was just like, ah, uh, I don't know, man. He's fight. He's got a bad chin as it is. Now he's fighting fighters who are 20 pounds bigger than him. Give me Yan by KO. Um, so, you know, obviously that bet cash, but what I'm trying to say is I think he's been done for multiple years. He's coming back now. It's never a great sign. I, it's funny cause I did a, um, betting review, uh, which I do every single year. And this is, I actually recommend the viewers and anyone who gambles to do this. This should be a prerequisite. If you gamble and don't do this, you're doing yourself a big disservice every single year or at, at uh, increments throughout the year, every six months, every nine months, whatever, quarterly, whatever, you should go back and look at your past bets, determine what you did well, determine what you did badly and try and improve on those things, right? I do that every year, but I actually did it halfway through the year this year for my previous three years. So instead of doing the last 12 months, I did the last 40 months or something like that, because that's how long I've been tracked on Better MMA, about three and a half years or something like that. Um, so I went through that. And one of the things I wrote down was be careful on aging fighters, right? Because I had made mistakes in my previous betting, um, my previous betting positions. 
I was betting on some fighters who I thought they could do the veteran lesson, but actually hindsight, they was past it. I cashed on some of these guys. Like I said, Yan against Lock, Rockhold and stuff, but that's something I wrote down, right? Lock, I, I, I wanted to be more careful in the future, betting on guys who were once great fighters, you know, Alexander Gustafson, Dominic Cruz, were once great fighters, but they may be past it. I think Luke Rockhold falls in that category here. I think Luke Rockhold is past it. And now he's fighting someone who is going to test that chin. Paolo Costa is a marauder. He's going to come forward. It looks like he's got insane durability. In that fight against Starbender, I don't know what happened in that fight. He's never fought like that in his entire career. He decided to fight like it in the biggest fight of his career. Who knows what happened? I'm willing to give him a pass in terms of his fighting style. I don't think he's going to fight like that again in his career. Um, man, he proved a lot of people wrong in that Vittori fight. It was a three to two decision, 48-46 um, because one of the point deductions, but really that was a 48-47. Uh, he won the fifth on round. Worst, he, on his worst day, essentially, he, he still went that long with a, a guy like that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah 20, 20 pounds overweight, um, <laughs> one of the biggest moments in, in 2021 uh, when Paolo Costa ends up fighting a light heavyweight after being scheduled for a middleweight fight, telling Vittori on the week of the fight, oh, by the way, I'm not going to make weight. I'm going to come in at 20 pounds. Vittori's like, man, you have to make weight. And then Paolo Costa responds by saying, that's your own personal problem. One of the best um, lines in MMA history, you know, that's your own personal problem, Vittori, that I'm 20 pounds <laughs> overweight. Even more hilarious in his broken English, right? But um, yeah. Yeah, he proved a lot of people wrong there. He won the fifth round, maybe because he come in 20 pounds overweight. He didn't have to kill himself on the cardio. At the end of the day, I think Paulo Costa is going to push the pace on Luke Rockhold. I think that there's almost no way that Luke Rockhold is going to be able to avoid Paulo Costa testing that chin maybe multiple times. I think it's, I honestly think it's virtually impossible that Luke Rockhold is not going to get touched on the chin twice heavily in this fight by big overhands or hooks. I honestly think it's impossible. Like it's 90, 95, 97% the Rockhold is going to get touched heavily on the chin, right? So if you're betting on Luke Rockhold, in my opinion, you have to be thinking that he's going to be able to eat those shots. Because I don't think you can say, I don't think you can make a breakdown and say he's not going to take those shots. I think you have to, if you're on the Rockhold side, you have to say he's going to be able to eat those shots. In my opinion, he's not going to be able to. Now, He's not going to get hit 100 times on the face. It might only be twice or, or three times. So maybe he's able to eat those shots. You know, we know knockouts, jaws are very strange things. Sometimes a fighter gets knocked out and then the next fight they have insane durability. It's very strange. It depends Saruk on Adeshev. how they... Adeshev. <laughs> um, Marcin Prakniel, you know. Chris Moutinho. Yeah, Chris Moutinho, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I know he exactly. got finished by Sean O'Malley, but like that could have gone, you know, another couple minutes that we could have seen a decision. But yeah, that, we don't that, puts him out of the next fight. Guido Canetti, right? So, I mean, I'm Guido Canetti hits hard, especially in the first round, but still, that, that's insane. So, look, there, are, there is some credence to say Luke's not going to get steamrolled. I personally think Paolo Costa is going to come in there and knock uh, Luke Rockhold out in round one. So, wow. I, don't, I don't know. Now, if it doesn't happen, yeah, Rockhold may be able to get top control. But look, even, even in a striking fight, like, Luke has, has to get top control in, in this fight, in my opinion, because, yeah, he's amazing on, 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 on the ground, right? He's got very good top control. He's like Jack Kamanson. He's extremely great top control fighter, right? He can get finishes. He can get submissions. But 
first of all, Paulo Costa has great takedown defense. You know, we saw that in multiple fights. We've seen that in um, in the in the Yoel Romero fight. Romero couldn't keep him on the ground. Romero's, I mean, Romero's very good wrestler. You know, Olympic wrestler. I know he doesn't use it, but still, um, Paulo Costa is extremely physical. In my opinion, much stronger, much hungrier, much younger than um, Luke Rockhold. So I do think he's going to be able to defend the takedowns. I think Luke Rockhold has to get the fight on the ground, even in a striking fight. If if it does stay on the, even if Luke Rockhold doesn't get knocked out. Is he going to beat Paolo uh, in a striking fight? No. Paolo's, in my opinion, Paolo's just, he's, he's way more volume. He's going to be throwing strikes out. Luke's going to be throwing one body kick for every five body kicks Paolo strikes at. He fights at a much higher pace. I don't know, man. I think all the signs point to a Luke Rockhold KO, but even worst case scenario, Paolo's just going to win. KO'd. But yeah, continue. Get Luke Rockhold getting KO'd. Yeah. But even in a worst case scenario, I think that Paulo Costa can win a clean decision here. But I think Paulo Costa KO in round one. And I actually played round one as well, plus 200. And I played um, I played, I played, played inside the distance as well. So fuck it, let's go. Just just going back a little bit to talk about what you were kind of saying earlier in that breakdown is, uh, you know, not betting older fighters or not betting guys that you think that were kind of hin- uh, hanging on to their old fights a little bit too much and, and not betting them. You did have a small play on Dominic Cruz, like a decision in that fight against uh, Cheeto Vera, yeah. correct? But yeah, what yeah. I wanted, so, what what I wanted to say though is like you got the number that you wanted to see there. Is there a number that you could have seen on Luke Rockhold here to be like might be worth the stab? Like, was there any number that you could potentially see on Luke Rockhold where you'd maybe consider yeah. taking a poke on him? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And just and just to clarify, when when I'm saying that what part of my review was to be careful betting fighters who are potentially past it. Um, that doesn't mean I'm never, ever going to bet a veteran in, in my yeah. betting career, right? I'm yeah. going to be betting them many, many times. But yeah. I just have to be more careful going forward. I honestly think Dominic Cruz, via I played Dominic Cruz via decision, right? Not his yeah. money line. Yeah. I played via decision at plus 280. And he was 2-1 up in the fourth round. Yeah. At plus 280, it's not the worst of all time, right? So I don't particularly hate that. And also, there was many questions on... On the Cheeto side, in my opinion, just in terms of whether we would be able to catch him. Dominic Cruz, extremely durable and stuff. But without getting into that fight, I am going to be betting on veterans going forward, but I'm also going to be looking to fade them a little bit more than maybe I was in the last three years. There is obviously a number that I would bet Luke Rockhold at. There is obviously a number. There's always a number, right? If Luke Rockhold was plus 2,000, I'm going to put 0.25 units on his money line, right? It's just going to happen. But I honestly think Paolo Costa is around 80%, 80, 80% in this matchup. So you're talking Luke Rockhold's going to have to be at plus 500 or something for me to take it, which he's nowhere near that at the moment. So there is a line, but it's not, an extremely wide way. line in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I agree with you as well. And uh, I've been doing the uh, shout to the Action Network once again, but I started doing their comment event breakdowns uh, the last three weeks. And the first two weeks ended up going with the dogs, cashing out on both of them, Jeff Neal and um, Nate Landwehr this past week. But I had to flip the script here. I had to go with the favor with the, the Paulo Costa side. But the bet that I somewhat recommended was just Paulo Costa KO, right? Minus 160, a little bit chalky, but you got to believe the majority of his win condition is set on that. Like we are expecting him to land on the chin of uh, Luke Rockhold and we are expecting him to go down. But I, I just want to give a little bit more respect to, to Luke Rockhold that my guy James was just absolutely shitting on him. I do think that he was one of the higher level middleweight guys seven years ago. 
right? I think he was one of those guys that if he's able to get that top position, he could smash these guys on the ground. His jiu-jitsu was phenomenal. Like, when his chin was good, when his body was holding up, he was one of the best middleweights, in my, in my opinion. But it just didn't end up having any longevity, right? Like, the, the, the obviously, the Michael Bisbing lock, knockout started that chain of events where, yes, he did win his next fight against David Branch, but then ended up going 0-2 in his next fights. Um, it's tough to have that confidence that Rockhold's going to be able to eat that damage and still keep coming forward. But my concern is that like if he does survive it, I think he can make this a little bit closer than than James might be seen. And and he, James might be right here. James might absolutely be on the nail here. But like I, I think that there is a little bit more credence to Luke Rockhold's skill set. Like if he does get a takedown or if he does you know start ripping body kicks a little bit more frequently rather than just staying on the outside and waiting to pickpocket his shots compared to the the berserker style uh, of Paulo Costa, which is what we usually expect from him. And the guy looks in damn good shape. You know, at the weigh-ins today, the guy's ready to go. The guy's uh, locked in. Um, the, the outside of the cage narrative in this fight is obviously the um, the last fight on his contract, right? He wants to go out there and get a highlight reel finish, try to have some leverage in that negotiating room. And I don't know how much it's actually going to be with him coming back to the UFC, right? It seems to be a lot of things pissing him off. You know, he's talked about uh, hoping the UFC ends up dropping him um, or uh, even the whole USADA issue, right? Like they had USADA guys come test him while he was cutting weight last night. I, I get it. You want to catch guys whenever you can, but to, to, already suck blood out of a guy who's already drained to shit trying to cut weight. I can see why that probably peeved him off a little bit. But yeah, it, largely I am in agreement with James. I can't get to the betting window with Luke Rockhold here. I think Paulo Costa is going to be landing often on that shin of Luke. And based on what I've been seeing in recent fights, or at least the most recent fights that we've seen from him, even though it was three years ago, the guy just can't take punches like he used to. And at a certain point, you just got to say, hey, like we, we can't trust that chin anymore. We truly can't. So, um, yeah, I, I I like the KO minus one sixty. I like that round one spot, man. Plus two hundred. I didn't realize it was actually up at plus two hundred. I think that's a damn sharp spot, especially considering how we're expecting this fight to go. Paul's going to come out there, land on the chin early. If he gets it, you cash plus two hundred. If he doesn't, then maybe Luke starts to battle his way into this fight a little bit. But uh, I, I think the the widely consensus or the wide consensus here is that Paulo Costa gets that early knockout, and I have to agree as well. All right. We are about to get into the main event here of UFC 278, but I want to shout out the 170 live viewers that we currently have hanging in with us on this. Uh, well, I guess it's Saturday morning now over here on the uh, across the pond, James. Well, I guess you're you're not technically across the pond. You're like across the pond and then some. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it is uh, EST at least here on the Eastern Standard Time uh, of North America. We just passed midnight, so appreciate everybody hanging out with us and uh, listeners uh, listening to us break down these fights. Uh, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe, and then obviously make sure you guys hit up James as well by following him on all of his social media platforms. Like I said, the Twitter account for his page is linked in the description below. Just give that a click and give that a follow if you haven't already. Yeah, I'm sure most of you guys already like him based on all the breakdowns that he's give, been given and based on the live chat, you guys fuck with him. So let's let's show him some love by hitting him up on the Twitter pages as well. I think on Instagram as well. Is it lucrative MMA on Instagram or is it yeah, lucrative MMA thing. betting? Yeah, lucrative MMA on Twitter and Instagram. There you go. Yeah. There, you go. there you go. All right. Let's get into this main event. And uh, hey, you said I always give you the dirty work. I'll let you kick this one off first before I tee it off, though. Uh, we're going to be talking about Kamaru Usman, uh, minus 350. So it looks like a little bit of money coming in on Leon Edwards. Uh, he's sitting now at plus 290. 
First time around, like I said at the top of the show, Kamaru Usman was a minus 240 favorite uh, back in December of 2015 when he defeated uh, Leon Edwards for the first time via decision. I believe he landed six takedowns that night and accrued close to 11 minutes of control time. Uh, and, and funnily enough, looking back on that card, that was the, the Cerrone and RDA2 fight where RDA just dispatched of him a minute and a half into that fight. But the first fight of the night, Francis Ngannou versus Luis Enrique. Second fight of the night, Vicente Luque versus Haider Hassan. And then third fight, Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards. Crazy to see where all those guys are at seven years after that fight. Uh, so, James, here we go. Let's go. What do you like? Kamaru Usman, Leon Edwards. Do you think there's any... Uh, actually, you kind of already you know, flashed the bag here uh, talking about this fight, talking about the favorites that you love on this card. But please, let me know what you ultimately think about this fight. Yeah, this is a solid fight. Um, I just feel like Kamara Usman is a bad matchup for Leon Edwards, man. Uh, not a huge hot take here. Although it seems like a lot are on the Leon Edwards side. Um, I guess, you know, plus 300 number on Leon Edwards. A fighter of Leon Edwards' caliber is very enticing to a lot of people. And I understand why. But, man, in this matchup, it's like... Kamara Usman, in my opinion, he's one of the greatest fighters of his generation in his weight class. Um, I know a lot of people shit on Kamara Usman, talking about like it. I don't get it. What are, what are these so people awesome. seeing? Yeah, I don't know. I th I think because Dana White calls him the best, I think people kind of maybe going against that in a way because I, I don't know what it is. But you know, they always talk down about his record, right? They say like, oh, he fought an old man. Um, if they say he fought uh, George, who was washed. Gilbert Burns, who's got no chin, a former welterweight. Uh, sorry, a former lightweight. And then Colby. Uh, Colby's his only good win, but Colby has no win. So actually, Colby's not that good. I don't understand it. I mean, the guy has is undefeated in the UFC. He's dominated anyone who he's fought against, honestly, apart from Colby Covington. Um, and I know a lot of people made, well, a few people made cases for Colby in that last fight, but I, I don't know. I think Kamara Usman cleanly won that fight to me. When the fight was being... I didn't have no money on it. Well, I actually had the fight doesn't go to decision, and I was pissed off because Kamara drops him heavily twice and isn't able to get round. the finish. Yeah, isn't able to get the finish, but Colby's so tough. Maybe that was a bad bet. Um, but when the fight was being called at the end of that second fight, I was... I didn't have any money on it, and I, I was like 100% confident Kamaru won the fight. Like, I had no question about the decision and then i see tons of people on twitter going like oh my god colby won the fight and i was like like what like i, I don't know i i don't know I, I actually um i thought he won it pretty cleanly and i think again he's one of the most dominant fighters of his generation and i think he's going to put on, on a dominant performance against leon edwards here um leon edwards has to knock him out in my opinion uh leon edwards Apparently, Leon Edwards has got this heavy strike advantage over Kamara Usman, but I only saw one person doing damage on the feet in that first fight, and it wasn't Leon Edwards, all right? I know that was damn near seven years ago, Locke. It's a long time ago. Someone pointed it out to me that Leon Edwards was 23 years old at the time. We can only go on what we saw, and yeah, maybe he does have a striker advantage, but let me tell you something. Leon has improved in the striking, but someone else has improved as well. Kamara Usman has improved his striking. He's improved his boxing. He's improved his timing. And he's, yeah, he's improved his timing a lot, in my opinion. And again, I only saw one person do damage on the feet in that fight. Leon did have a couple moments on the feet, I will say. 
But Kamaru cracked him heavily on the feet and hurt Leon, right? So maybe hot take or not, I don't know. I think Kamaru Usman finishes Leon Edwards in this fight. I think he can finish him standing, which will be a slightly hot take. But I also think he can finish him with pace and pressure. I think in that third and fourth round, I think Kamaru's grappling, which I do think we see a return to his grappling in this fight, I think that could potentially break Kamaru. Um, uh, sorry, break Edwards here. He shot 13 takedowns against Leon in that first fight. People are coming out and acting like Kamaru is a striker now. Kamaru, there's some context to why Kamaru hasn't shot that many takedowns. Let in him know. Fight. Let him know. I'm, I'm right there with you because I hear the same thing. Continue. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some context to why Kamaru is apparently this kickboxer now. Colby Covington is one of the best wrestlers in welterweight history. Or let's say... The best, one of the best MMA pace wrestlers. I don't think he's the best out-and-out wrestler. There's been many better than him, even better MMA wrestlers. But when you're talking about pace and pressure wrestling, which is a different game, much like Murad Devalishvili, then I do think he's one of the best at that game. And he's a great defensive grappler. So that's why Kamara Usman didn't take down Colby Covington. Also, Gilbert Burns is a motherfucker on the ground. Kamaru has trained with Gilbert Burns on, on the ground before. He knows that Gilbert Burns can latch up an arm. Hamzat Chemaev didn't take Gilbert Burns down for that very reason. That's why he didn't take Gilbert Burns down. In the Masvidal fights, he did grapple. In the first fight, he grappled. And in the second fight, he actually got a couple of takedowns before he stood with him a, 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 quite a little bit, maybe more than he should have. And he did end up getting a knockout in that fight. Anyway, I think there's some caveat to that. I do think that um, we see a return to the grappling game of Kamaru Usman in this fight. I think he's able to win minutes on the feet with his volume, with his boxing. When he feels that Kamaru, uh, when he feels that Leon Edwards is maybe having some success on the feet, I think he goes to the grappling. I think he mixes in the grappling. I think he puts on a dominant performance. I think he does look minus 400. And I think he wins the fight inside the distance. If not, an easy, no threat decision, uh, 49, 46, uh, you know, did this type of 50, 45, whatever. I think Kamaru is a, is a solid play this weekend. I agree. And I just want to, you know, piggyback a little bit off of that narrative that people think he's just a striker now and he's forgotten about his wrestling. Like he did land that one takedown against Colby Covington in the last fight, but he he knew that his striking was more powerful. His striking was his calling card in that fight. And he was able to stuff all 11 takedown attempts coming his way from Kobe Covington. So why not keep this on the field where you're able to hurt him and drop him numerous times? The Jorge Masvidal fight landed two takedowns in that fight, controlled him for about a minute and a half. But Jorge did a good job in terms of working back to his feet. So, And, and then he only had six minutes of that fight. That fight only lasted six minutes. He still landed two takedowns. Uh, and then the fight before that, you nailed it, right? Gilbert Burns, you don't want to take that guy down, especially early, especially with these guys being former training partners. You know he's probably been wrapped up into a pretzel one or two times by Gilbert, and he didn't want that to happen in actual live uh, uh, fighting setting there. Uh, and then the fight before that, Jorge Masvidal took him down five times. You know what I mean? The Kobe Covington fight, another one where it was just uh, no takedowns, but a lot of uh, strikes being thrown. He only landed two takedowns against Tyron Woodley, but... It's because he didn't need to wrestle that night, man. He did fucking Tyra Woodley does nothing. And that was probably one of my proudest caches of all time. You know, two units on Kamaru Usman at plus 170, which was an absolute steal and a half. Uh, I will never obviously going to get Kamaru Usman at those numbers again. But uh, very happy to cash that one that night. Uh, yeah, in, in regards to this matchup, I like I like your take, man. Uh, the spot that I was looking at, I, I, 
I should have pulled the trigger on it already, but minus 155 for round four or five decision on Kamaru Usman. Because I think if there is a finish, it likely comes late um, or he just ends up grinding him out and winning this fight, you know, via decision. I, I, I don't want to say I'd be completely shocked if this fight finishes early, but I think more of it's going to come from that grinding pace of Kamaru to eventually slow down Leon and eventually get him out of there later. You wanted to add something, James? Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know... You know, it's George Masvidal rematch, right? George Masvidal, insane chin, never been knocked out. Think he did once in a regional scene in a boxing ring, fighting MMA or something. I don't know, but ne George never Masvidal, MMA, never MMA, never MMA. Okay, well, Masvidal is known to have one of the best chins of all never. time, really. I mean, the dude has an insane chin, knocks him out within six minutes. So, you, when you take the four-five decision, it's it's just a little bit scary after yeah. that Masvidal fight. He also knocked Colby Covington down and almost had him out of there in like round two as well. So yeah. and Gilbert Burns, he finished Gilbert Burns in round three or two. Round three. So yeah. I mean, it it it's just a little bit scary. Um, not to say that it it may be it looked like a good play, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Sorry, you are correct, actually. Jorge did get knocked out way early in his career by Rodrigo or Rodrigo Dam, uh, veteran way back in 2008. But yeah, you are correct. Up until that point, though, you know, from 2008 all the way up until 2021, had never been knocked out. Or sorry, 2022, I should be saying. I do have a couple of thoughts regarding that Gilbert Burns fight as well. Like, I, I was never a big, like, obviously, I took Gilbert Burns against Tyron Woodley. I felt like that was a, a very easy cash as well at underdog odds there. But I've never been big been as big on Gilbert Burns as everybody else has. Like, I think the guy has a little bit of cardio issues if he's being pushed, right? In the Tyron Woodley fight, he can go five rounds because he's not being pushed at all. But when he's facing adversity and when he's facing somebody that can actually put it on them, like Kamar Usman did, that's where he's going to start to slow down and start to get out of there. And lastly, that, that knockdown, I don't even think they recorded it as a knockdown in that first round for Gilbert Burns. I think people are over-exaggerating how hurt Kamaru actually was in that round. Yes, he got a little bit stumbled but like he was right back in it like he was going back and throwing punches and and standing his ground so uh, i think people like kept leaning on that especially for that going into that jorge masvidal fight saying if gilbert burns can hurt him obviously jorge masvidal can hurt him but again people are over exaggerating how hurt he actually could have been um yeah i have the same sentiments as you hear i really think that kamar usman is one of the greatest fighters of all time because he has the three best traits that you need in mixed martial arts and he has them at elite levels wrestling cardio and pace if you can match that you're going to be able to give him some fits and the only guy that can match that is you've said it over and over again Kobe motherfucking Covington right I believe he is a carbon copy of Kamaru Usman with not as much power that's the only difference right like that's where Kamaru Usman sets himself apart from Kobe is that he has power in his strikes but Kobe you know Kobe should be the guy that people have to beat to get a shot at Kamaru Usman but if Kobe keeps turning these guys away keep letting him fight Kamaru Usman I don't give a fuck man those two guys are the best two guys at welterweight bar none right we're still finding out a little bit more about Hamzat Shmaev he's only really had one you know stiff uh, fight in Shavkat. the UFC thus far Shavkat he's coming you think he's the truth hey you think he's the truth I think he's the real deal after what I saw him do to Neil Magny, who's not the best fighter in the world, but he honestly, I don't know, man. He After that fight, he changed my opinion on him a lot. I, I just feel like he's, he's a tough matchup for every fighter in a division. Interesting. 
Interesting. I, I'm not. I, I I like the kid. I'm. I just don't feel like I'm as high on him as you are. Um. But yeah. Uh, in terms of this matchup, Kamara Usman, Leon Edwards, where we are in agreement. So I do like Kamaru here as well. Uh, nope. Uh, actually, I, I I lied. I did end up parlaying Kamaru Usman here because I I think he's worth the chalk, man. He's one of the best fighters ever. I did, like. I looking back back at my bet MMA tips. I've never lost a fight where I bet on Kamaru Usman. Because he's never lost in the UFC, right? He's about to break the record in the UFC for most consecutive wins. And people are still trying to besmirch this guy's name. Fuck out of here, man. You have to be super good to be able to pull off, what is it, nine, is 16 or 17 straight victories in a row. You have to be good. You can't slip up once. And he's never slipped up once to the point of actually losing a fight in the UFC. Bro, like, I, I, I don't want to go too long on this. We're wrapping up now, but... Man, he's, he's one of those fighters where, like, every single fight, someone tries to make the case for the other guy because he's so good. It's like when Khabib was fighting. You know, everyone tried to make a case for Justin Gaethje. I remember that. Um, everyone tried to make a case for Poirier and McGregor. And he's, he's kind of got that phenomenon, right? you got to think, Leon Edwards went to a split decision with Gunnar Nelson, man. Leon Edwards got hurt badly by Brian Barberena. I mean, yeah, he's improved, but... He's a level below Kamara Usman, and I think it's going to show this weekend. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, yeah, that that pretty much wraps up the breakdowns. I don't think we can suck off Kamara Usman any further than what we've already done. So I think we've made our case there. Um, the way that I like to end off the show is obviously dropping like our lock of the night plays or our most confident plays on the card. I, I went with, you know, I could have parlayed the, the Kamara Usman and the Amir Albazi and made that my lock of the night play or something like that. But I thought I'd, I want to stick to money lying straight bets for my lock of the night plays. And, you know, my straight plays have been absolutely killing it over the last six months. And that's where I feel like my bread and butter is because I can find these spots and, and take advantage of them. And I feel really good about Victor Altamoreno this weekend, right? I know he's a little bit sketched out early in this fight, but I feel like he's durable and crafty enough to survive early against Daniel De Silva. You know, one thing, and I'm surprised this word hasn't even come up during this entire podcast, but, you know, I've been hearing it all week on other people's podcasts, the ones that I've been skimming through, elevation, right? There's elevation here in, in Utah where they're going to be fighting in Salt Lake City, and that may come in play against guys that have, bad gas tanks and Daniel De Silva probably one of the worst gas tanks on the card outside of Harry Hunsucker as well so I, I think that's going to come into play here and we'll see Victor Altamirano run away with this fight get him out of there I got him four units at minus 168 earlier this week um, I did also take a two unit shot at minus 160 on the under two and a half Again, I don't want to call it a hedge, but it could also be a slight hedge. Um, but I do think the Alta Moreno could finish him under two and a half as well. So hopefully I can cash both of those tickets this weekend. What do you like in the most that you're uh, comfortable in terms of sharing with the viewers here, my friend? What do you like? Well, <clears throat> can I give a prop or you want money line only? Hey, uh, I, I like to call it your, your most confident play on the card. If you want to drop your most confident play on the card, I think people would appreciate that. All right. Um, well... Without going into Tyson Pedro inside the distance at minus six hundred, because we'll, we'll, that might be my that's my most confident play on the card. Yeah. But we'll give we'll give the users someone something they can work with. Um, Paolo Costa inside the distance is minus one sixty, and I think it's going to come through. I like it. I like it. I like it. That falls right in line with my action network breakdown as well. So hopefully that ends up hitting too. Um, James, dude, 
fucking you know closing it on two and a half hours but it honestly went by like this because i enjoy talking to you that much and i I very much respect how you see fights and how you try to have you know uh, i'm not saying that other people other people break down fights from a biased perspective but like you really remove yourself from any type of uh bias that you might have towards certain fighters or you know some of the narratives that we might be seeing a lot on mma twitter or even in other podcasts we remove ourselves from them and we try to look at it from a from a from a bigger and wider lens that's why i very much appreciate talking to you all the time uh i will give you this opportunity to to drop and plug anything you would like for people to check you out on uh and then i'll wrap this thing up on the back end my friend yeah thank you man i appreciate that at the end of the day bro like we love watching mma i say this on all of my podcasts right kind of like a slogan i love watching mma but the only thing i like in life more than watching mma is making money while watching MMA. So in order to do that, we have to remove ourselves emotionally because God knows I've been met him for over 10 years and there's been many times where you bet on your favorite fighter, your favorite team when I used to bet on football, your favorite team when I used to bet on every other sport and it ends up burning you, you know, in the long term, right? So I appreciate that. We always try and remove our emotions from it. This is not an emotional game. The emotional people who gamble end up losing all their money or, or falling into a gambling addiction, which is very serious as well. So yeah, man, uh, I appreciate you having me on as always. I think it's, man, I don't know how long, it seems like we haven't done this for like over a year. I don't it, know. It when does. I, I can't recall if I've had you on the show solo because there was a time where I used to do the show with like four total people yeah. on Friday nights, but I wasn't a big fan of that, right? Just too much commotion and it would yeah. leak into like three to four hour podcasts. And, you know, a lot of people would be saying the same thing that the previous guy just said. So I like connecting with the guy, you know, or, or whoever it is on the other side, one on one more than I do one on three, essentially. So, yeah, I think yeah. the last time was, you know, the four man crew, but, uh, you're definitely in the rotation and what i'll say about that in regards to you know not having you on sooner i did fall in love a lot with bringing in the names and what i mean by that is the coaches and the fighters and stuff but the one thing that takes away from the viewers is they don't know all 24 fighters they don't you know can't give us the in-depth breakdowns that me and you go into you know every single fight with so i felt like i was robbing the viewers a little bit yes i'm giving them the name value and i'm giving them a coach and a fighter to get perspective Mm -hmm. from but you know, what we're starting to see as more fighters and more coaches start getting into this betting realm that we're not that much different, right? Like we all all are trying to do the same thing. We're trying to predict fights. But at yeah. the end of the day, like there are people that are probably way sharper than any coach or any fighter out there. And you have the track record to back it up, if anything. But that's what I, what I want to go, go back to giving to the people is the, the, the hard research fight analysis for every single fight not just one or two i'll sprinkle in the coaches every now and then but for the most part i'm going back to the handicappers and you are definitely on that short list of guys that i wanted to bring back on a regular basis so i promise you it won't be as long as last time (laughs) no looking forward to it man and you're right you know i guess there's pros and cons for both uh there's a lot that we betters can give to the viewers but there's also a lot that the coaches do so shout out to you one of the realists in the game who actually has on real guys and actually pumps out this content week after week. Everybody who's watching now, definitely give a like, definitely give a subscribe and go and subscribe to Lock Stuff because <clears throat> he's one of the only ones who consistently put out content, which is not easy to do because I'm doing it as well. So I know it's how hard it is. Right? <laughs> and, and, and he does a lot. 
it's not just one podcast a week like I'm doing. The dude does a lot of stuff. So it's almost every day, James. It's almost every day. Too. But 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 I love it. I, I honestly love it. I truly appreciate all the love and support. And again, I appreciate you giving me the kudos as well. I'm just trying to get my betting game up to your betting game. You know, I'm slowly on that way. I've definitely turned it around from how my year was since April. I've been absolutely killing it. I'm trying to keep that consistent, keep it going. And uh, it, it was due to actually what you had recommended uh, wow. earlier in the podcast, going back and looking back at what you're actually good at doing and sticking with those things. For me, it was the props bite me in the ass. It was the parlays bite me in the ass. Now I'm going to the straight betting and the straight betting has been absolutely money for me. So, uh, yeah, there is legitimate water to what James said earlier about going back and watching your bets. And, and again, uh, one more thing I want to say before we get off here. People think that you need to track your bets if you want to sell your picks or become a cap or anything like that. That is couldn't be further from the truth. It is great for you as your own better, as your own you know, critique to go back, track your bets, and just look at those track bets and be like, where did I go wrong? What are the patterns of, you know, things that I'm looking at? You know, am I putting too much weight on these up-and-comers who have just been finishing all these guys, but once they finally take a step up in competition, I'm still willing to pay chalk on them. <clears throat> David Onama. You know what I mean? Like, things like that. Like, you need to go back and try to realize where your shortcomings are, and the only way to really do that is tracking it. Sure, if you can track it yourself in your own spreadsheet, do that. But bet MMA, one of the best, it is the best. I don't even want to say one of the best. It is the best tracking system for MMA out there considering how much statistics and analytics you can actually get just from all your track record and all your track picks. So make sure you guys check that out if you haven't already. BetMMA.tips, one of the best tools in the game to help you pr improve your betting game. And, and again, you don't have to sell picks. You just do it for yourself and you'll take yourself after that. I don't know why I went off on that round, James, but you can... <laughs> I, look, at the end of the day, it's just it's just more information, solid information for anybody who ever watches this video. So definitely take Locke's advice. Um, I recommend Bet MMA. It's definitely the best out there. Um, but yeah, man, just 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 to close out. Um, my name is there, James Blissett, but I do go by Lucrative MMA, which is my handicapping service where I help people make money from Bet MMA. So I have my handicapping service there. You can check that out on my website, lucrativemmabetting.com. Just follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. You can sign up for all my official picks on that website. But if you don't want my official picks, I put out tons of content anyway. I've done this two-hour podcast. I did a podcast um, about four days ago, Full Card Breakdown. And follow me on Twitter, Instagram. I do Instagram lives all the time. And on Twitter, I'm always putting out my thoughts and stuff on the upcoming fight. So just follow me on the socials. And um, I appreciate everybody watching because without anybody watching, there would be no show. So definitely big shout out to you guys. Exactly. You know, shout out to the trolls as well that want to come in and try to swing their big dicks around and say, hey, you know, you guys suck. Oh, really? Thanks for spending your time, your Friday night, coming out and watching us. So. It yeah. all works out at the end of the day. James, again, appreciate you coming on, my friend. I'll have you on much sooner than I did the last time, and we'll be able to break down some more fights together. Good luck this weekend, as always. Hopefully, you're able to cash some bets. Good luck to myself as well. Hopefully, we're able to cash some bets. Good luck to everybody in the chat as well. Hopefully, you guys can cash some bets as well. I'll be back tomorrow. Like I said, the grind don't stop, right? James said I do fucking content every day. I do content every day, even on fight days. 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, fight day live chat, where it's pretty much all about you guys. I pretty much talk to you guys for an hour getting your thoughts answering any questions answering any uh comments about the fights that are coming up trying to give you guys any last minute suggestions so make sure you guys come through for that until then good luck on your bets folks and we'll see you tomorrow